I think that if we had managed to reach the potential of Spore, there was a potential there to reach, I guess. But what does that mean? I don't know. Game at all I don't know, levels. man. What does it mean? Like, you, you know, you're sitting there in the meeting and they're like pitching. Okay, there's a plumber and he's walking around and he jumps on a pipe. And you're like, what? It means the plumber jumps on the pipe. It doesn't mean that, like, <laughs> later on, the, the plumber is going to be ruling, a, a, you know, a, a intergalactic, like, space <laughs> empire. Hi, everybody. This is Soren Johnson, and you are listening to Designer Notes, a podcast about why we make games. Today, we are talking to independent game developer Chris Hecker. Chris is the co-founder of the Indie Game Jam, led the development of Spore's procedural animation, and is currently working on the asymmetric psychological shooter, Spy Party. A hair-based name for a company of of an aging, middle-aged man is maybe not the wisest. (laughs) I'm just thinking, like, I couldn't do a mohawk now. It's true. I have considered that. Um, I uh, was one of the reasons I did the I did the mohawk when I did like was the last two years ago. Because I was like, I know I'm. Well, well, I still can exactly. (laughs) I'm like, is mine going to fall out or turn gray first? Because the gray hasn't come up from the like you know the beard yet. So who knows. Cool. All right. Well, um, what I um, so as I mentioned yesterday, what I usually start with is asking people what's the first what's the first video game they remember. And I'm not sure what the first. I remember Commodore 64 floppy disks full of pirated video games. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Spy Hunter was, or something. Like I mean, of games that I you know. I mean, I'm was sure that, that your first computer. Commodore 64 was my first computer that I owned. I had, like, a CBM or whatever at school and did the Lemonade Stand basic program and, you know, hacked on that and stuff. But, uh, I mean, certainly there were arcade games like Pac-Man and whatnot. You know, there was a pizza place that had all the arcade games, and that was awesome. But the story I was going to tell about that is the first, my favorite game from that time was Tempest. Okay. And so on the Commodore 64, there was this thing called, it was either, like, Super Basic or Ultra Basic or Fantastic Basic. It was some basic plus-plus kind of thing. And uh, I was like, I'm going to write a Tetris, Tetris, uh, I mean, a, a Tempest. Tempest clone. Um, and so I had the, uh, I didn't know any math, so of course I just had the planar, like, level. <laughs> you know, it wasn't a circle, like, that's way beyond my capacity. Right. Um, and I had the sprites, um, and it was one of those ones that's like, you know, I can't remember what the C64 was, 16 sprites or something like that, right. eight sprites. But this was like, you could have 64 sprites, and they were, they were like, you know, trying to chase the scan lines and do yep. the right thing, but it didn't quite ever work, and they flickered. Um and I had my thing, and I had the little, like, whatever that crab thing spaceship is along the bottom, and I'm starting to get the guys coming down, and, like, I mean, I had no idea what I was doing programming-wise. And uh, and I ran out of memory on Ultra Basic. Just, like, it was done. Like, I think the basic, like, yeah, it's like... It filled up. Yeah. yeah. So it couldn't... I was in, unable to do uh, Tempest in Ultra. And then I started learning assembly language. Okay. Wow. And I wrote a paint program. Because back then, it was just, like, that's... I this mean, is what yeah, you do, yeah, yeah. I got a, some book that was had a silver binding. I don't even know what it was. But that yeah, that's just what you did um but then i got into art and that's when i started drawing and were you in like middle school yeah i mean whatever that was with that 84 like i had the 695 dollar commerce 64 before they dropped the price to like 129 or whatever so whatever that early adopter thing was somehow i convinced my parents to get that um i think because computers were the future or who even knows what the reasoning was and uh, my friend dan uh 
got his, and his parents always gave him his Christmas presents early, mm-hmm. which pissed my mom off so much because he got his he got to open his Commodore sixty four in October. So then, of course, I was like, "Well, Dan got to open his," <laughs> and my mom's like, "It's not Christmas yet." And yeah. so, but uh, so I got mine, and maybe I say it took probably a couple more weeks of work to get the Commodore sixty four, but but it was cool. I mean, I definitely like. Uh, um, I never got really into the game pirating scene. I never was really aware of the whole, like, you know, baggy software. Uh-huh. I kind of wish I was. That would be cool to yeah. have, like, well, that taken was early. By that point, like, the games were packages. I mean, it was yeah, like, I mean, the, the, the EA, the EA, you know, era record com- yeah. record games were out, Bill Budge. And I remember seeing, I remember seeing, um, I know Bill Budge now and met mm-hmm. him, you know, from Spore and early on and interviewed there and uh, just hanging out and, like, I remember seeing pinball construction set in the thing at software, et cetera, yeah. or whatever, you know? So that was pretty cool. Yeah. Those packages were great. Yeah. I remember, uh, oh man, they were selling a Targa board. What's that? So Targa is a file format, as you know about oh, it now, yeah, but okay. Targa was actually this super high end 32 bit or 24 bit graphics board mm-hmm. that they use for photo retouching. Mm-hmm. So like Quantel paint box, all these like network things. And I did this, 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 I guess it was a software center or whatever the computer store that I went to all the time mm-hmm. had like a setup of this in the back. So you could like paint, you know, like a Photoshop, but back then, and you've never seen anything like it. It's like, wow, you can, like, you know, like, full brushes and everything. I mean, it was thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, but used for doing crazy, you know, like, network programming. You know, it had, like, you know, NTSC scanning and stuff. But it was one of those totally insane things that now your phone can do, no problem. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, the game thing for me lasted in the, the 80s version of it was... I mean, I don't remember how long it took to, to max out Ultra Basic and, and blow up my Tempest clone. And then I wrote the paint program and this various other assembly language stuff. And I took to programming. Like, I liked it. Right. Um, uh, but Did you think you wanted to become a programmer? It never. I mean, I was not you in the, like, what. Yeah, I, I decided. I, I thought I was going to become an artist. Yeah. You know, so I started drawing and started doing much more art stuff. And then... Um, uh, and then ended up going to Parsons School of Design. Right. And then what happened there was... It was right around the time when, like, desktop publishing was starting to happen. Mm-hmm. So we had a, at Parsons, we had a Linotype machine, which is like a, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars typesetting machine. And I used to work there and we used to steal the film and use it to actually develop black and white photos and all, you know, mm-hmm. all the normal college hijinks that you do in the stupid labs. Um, but then they were, they had some Corel Draw machines and whatever. And I was like, somebody asked for help one day or something. And I was like, oh yeah, computers, I'm pretty good at those. You know, I remember from the days. Um, and so I debug some postscript something or other just by like, you know, whatever. And then I like bought a bite magazine and that was it. Like I just went back down the rabbit hole and taught myself C then mm-hmm. got my dad to buy me a 386. Um, and then, uh, and then, you know, basically taught myself to program, uh, C thought I was all awesome and stuff. Uh, and then I was trying to like, I was kind of like, VR was that this is it's funny we're having this conversation now because VR was like I have like LCD shutter glasses and a Nintendo power glove up in my attic right because I was like full on like I was I wanted to believe I passed Jerome Lanier in (laughs) an elevator one time and there was like a little fanboy moment or whatever right Uh and now I'm like not a fan of VR at all um but uh but that was basically back then I remember I remember you know Edward Hopper the painter Mm -hmm. yeah um uh, this guy who, uh, his name's Perry something. I, I can't, I heard his, uh, he, he taught at, uh, this is all in New York for me. Right. He taught at, uh, um, uh, uh, what's the free school down on eighth street. It's the fancy, like, it's like really hard to get into. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, I know what you're talking about, but yeah, yeah. It's, I, I, it's, I can't remember what it's called. Um, 
but he was an art teacher there and I met him through this kind of like other friend who was a programmer guy who did arty salon kind of meetings and whatever and he had like taken some Ed, the Edward Hopper's gas station picture mm-hmm. and stereofied it like you know it has like the different mm-hmm. like 50s gas pumps and like you put the shutter glasses on and like all of a sudden you're it's in 3D and then I like wrote like a breakout kind of clone or you know like a pong in 3D thing and so I was kind of like oh VR do I want to do scientific visualization and then I kind of finally, uh, I ended up at Microsoft through things we can talk about if you want, but, uh, um, and finally realized the games were actually the cool use of computers. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're going to be graphics, like, you know, VR kind of went nowhere. You could kind of tell it was not really applicable, um, even back then. And then, uh, and the scientific, scientific visualization stuff seemed cool, but it was a little dry and stuff. And just as soon as, you, you know, games are just the coolest thing you can possibly use a computer for as right. a programmer. So, it- are we in the era of, of Doom? Is that, like, why you yeah, felt that way? Or? I mean, it was not actually... I mean, I played a ton of Doom at Microsoft, um, but I think it was a little before that. I mean, VR and scientific visualization and any kind of 3D graphics. Like, I was on this thing called BIX, the Byte Information Exchange, mm-hmm. and this was, I don't know what when this would have been, like, 90, 89, 90, 90-ish. You know, mm-hmm. I dropped out of Parsons. I went to Parsons. I was class of 88 in high school. And so, 89, you know, 88, 89, I went to Parsons. I dropped out sophomore year, so that would have been 89, 90 and then I met Mike Abrash, who's okay. an old school. He's at Oculus now, but yeah. uh, and has been at Valve and Rad and you know like Microsoft. He's the one who hired me at Microsoft. Uh, he and I met on Bix, mm-hmm. Byte Information Exchange. This is a BBS time. This is pre-internet. Like I mean, there was internet at colleges, you know, ARPANET and and, and Usenet and stuff. But uh, um, and and I think Bix had a Usenet reflector type thing. But it was mostly like it was cool because it was Byte Magazine, which was the kind of the cool, you know, there was Doctor Dobbs I think back then and Byte and like you know just it was a good high signal noise community. So like, for example, I was really into C++ at the time and it was pretty new then and the C++ group on Bix had like Strustrip posting in it and stuff. Like it was hardcore, mm-hmm. Greg Greg Como and stuff and then this NY the the New York C++ you know CSIG, they called it the C++ C and C++ users group had a whole bunch of ANSI community people. So we were all like kind of in the middle of that at the time. But I met Mike Abrash on Bix, and then we, like, learned 3D graphics together. Because mm-hmm. he was struggling. You know, he had been doing sprite stuff and things like that. And, uh, uh, you know, all of his graphics columns for uh, PC techniques and whatnot, and Dobbs. And um, I was just this, like, you know, whatever I was, 20-year-old old kid who was, like, really enthusiastic. And I had kind of heard of him just via that kind of stuff. Yeah. But he he and I, neither of us knew 3D graphics. And so we kind of started talking, and we were in the same spot and kind of, like, learned that kind of thing together. And then... Um, the a uh, a guy from Microsoft came to the New York CSIG to present the latest C++ compiler, and we tore him a new one because it was terrible. <laughs> it's still terrible to this day, but back in the 90s, it was even worse. And so I mailed Mike, because he had gone to Microsoft by that point. This is like 91 or something, 92. And uh, I was like, oh, this guy... This, so in, the, in that Microsoft way that they were like really good at this kind of thing... We tore him a new one, and he offers us jobs. Right. Right? So um, he actually ended up never getting back to us. But I said to Mike, I was like, oh, I'm going to be up there. You know, this guy offered you a job. You know, we should hang out in mm-hmm. person finally. And uh, um, he's like, oh, well, why don't you come work in my group? Why don't, why don't you come interview in my group? So I actually ended up going to NT 3.1, you know, mm-hmm. before NT was NT. Yeah. Um, uh, and and watch Dave Cutler yell at people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so that's how I got to Microsoft. And then I, I, uh, so Mike and I, you know, I worked for Mike and I kind of did nothing on NT. I didn't, I was so young and so, I mean, I'm, I'm not claiming I'm not stupid now, but like, like they're trying to ship this giant company risking operating system. And mm-hmm. I'm like off, like 
prima donning. Oh, I should probably work on this graphics API stuff. It didn't matter at all. Instead of like what you do as a mature programmer is like, I'm going to lock down and help these people finish this thing. But I was like totally all over the place. Right. Um, so we transferred to... A, well, you were what? Like 20? Yeah. I mean, it was 22, 23. I was 93 to 96 at Microsoft. Yeah. I was born in 70. So yeah, ni- yeah, 23. Wow. Yeah. Um, uh, and Microsoft, it breathes that, you know youngest, loudest, smartest person in the room wins all arguments, whether they're right or not, you know? And so it's just like, it's a really dysfunctional meeting environment back then. I mean, it was that was when the stock was exponential and they ruled the world and like, you know, Windows was, you know, taking over everything. And so it was just, a, it was the place to be, to be in that. It's kind of like, I assume Google is or was, you know, maybe it's Facebook now. I don't know what, whatever Twitter, you know, the, 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 which Apple maybe, whichever tech company is currently ruling, mm-hmm. ruling the universe yep. was what it was like back then. So it was exciting. I learned how to program there. I mean, that was cool. Todd Laney, who uh, retired, I think, and lives on a farm somewhere, <laughs> you know, he basically was a mentor. I think I think we, I, we should talk about how you learn to program. Maybe it's kind of an interesting thing. But, like, I find mentoring the most effective way. Like, an in-person yeah. mentor is just way more effective. I mean, you can lean, learn by books and classes and stuff like that. But if you've got somebody who – and you know, it's helping you except for the help that Todd Laney gave was basically telling me I was stupid when I screwed up, but right. that still works. You yeah. know, you just have to have thick skin. I mean, you learned, you learned, you learned C from originally you learned it from Kernigan and Ritchie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or it was actually, I had a shitty version, a shitty non Kernigan and Ritchie before I got Kernigan and Ritchie and realized that, that was the actual better way. But, yeah. uh, but you never but, took any coursework. No, in, I actually ended program. up teaching, Continuing ed C programming classes at NYU, not ever taking a class. It was all self taught, right? But I mean, it all came back. I mean, once you like, you know, it all came back pretty fast from uh, the, C, the 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 Commodore sixty four and basic, you know, assembly and basic days because yeah. it all works the same. I mean, you know, yeah. if you have a if you have a mind for programming, yeah, like it just it right. Just clicks. I mean, yeah, I mean, I yeah, I taught myself basic. Yeah. on my on the, Commodore 64. Right. I mean, that's one of the great things about the Commodore 64 is you turn it on and, and it's it says ready, ready yeah. blink, 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 Ugh. and you can just type in 10 print no, I. It was so it, cool. It's like right there. It's like I worry about the iOS. Yeah, I worry about the iOS generation because they're so closed. Mm -hmm. You can still do things. Like the other day, so I was getting ready for PAX. Uh Spy Party has a booth at PAX, and we sell the game on these little code cards that have a QR code on them for the actual the redeemable code. And then we use Square, that little card swiper thing that plugs into your phone, right? Mm -hmm. And I was trying to last year we did it, um, and it went great. I mean, we sold like five hundred and something copies, so basically paid you know five grand or so. It paid for the booth basically almost. Um, So I was like, I want to get a little smoother this year. because um, it was like we had to like cut and paste, which on a phone is a disaster. Like, because we wanted to like track the redeem yeah, okay. the redemption codes. Yeah. There's no way in Square to get the code into the receipt so yeah. that I could actually look up when somebody loses their card, which mm-hmm. card were you and whatever. So I was just trying to get this, and we were like, you know, scan on this on the QR code scanner, and then cut and paste the code into the thing, and then flip apps to over to the. It was just a disaster. So. I was like trying to find a better app that had like bulk scanning and it would save them all to the clipboard and all this stuff. And uh, I tried on iOS. I use an Android phone just because, uh-huh. like, you know, nerdy, like, I just want more control or whatever. But I didn't realize how bad iOS. I'd never tried to use an iOS in yeah. anger. And oh my God, like, apps can't read other apps' directories mm-hmm. or anything. There was no way to get the data between these two apps if you weren't online. Yeah. And uh, I couldn't believe it. Like, it's the first time I'd heard people complain about it. Everybody complains about iOS. He was a programmer. But like, so I finally like went. To, I was like, all right, I've got a couple of Android phones in a drawer here. I'll just have you know uh, Alice and John, the people who are doing the scanning, mm-hmm. use extra Android phones I have, and I'll just get 
this app. And then I realized the app that I was using was actually open source. Right. And the Android SDK is free. And sure. I downloaded the app and I just changed just it. I don't know how, I have no idea how Android works, but like once you've got a code that works and you can upload it, like you right. can figure out simple yeah. things like shoving it into the paste buffer, you know, the clipboard and whatever. And so I modified the app and uploaded it to this phone and like it's way smoother now. And it's just yeah. so powerful to be able to do that. Yeah. Well, that's why I always tell people to, um, you know, if they want to learn how to program, and they're not necessarily in a place where they're like ready to become a freshman in the CS program or something. Yeah, like, just start modding, right? Yeah. Like if they're into strategy games, like well, take some four. No, exactly. Like, are the gameplay and AI code is available? Yeah. Just you know, there's something you don't like the AI doing. See if you can figure it out. And exactly. It, right? I mean, it's good. There's gonna be some place where it adds ten to a number in there and change yeah. it to fifteen and see what happens. Yeah. I mean, it's so easy to learn when you're just trying to like change something that's already yeah. working. Like, yeah. If you start from scratch. You know, especially no. now. Oh, like, trying to get it. I mean, I, I would have no idea how to get an Android app running from yeah. scratch. It like, took me it took me two hours. It took me less time to change the program yeah. than it did to get it building. Yeah. Just because, like, this SDK had to download other SDK. It was, like, a disaster of the infrastructure. But once I had it actually uploading to the phone, mm-hmm. then it's just Java. You go in and find the thing that was doing it and make another function call there. Yeah. yeah the, Permi's weird. Like, I, I, I mean, I have, like, like, gameplay programming is just, like, second nature to me now. Right, right, right. So, right, like, right. I... I it just it just flows so easily. But like if I if I was like okay, I'm just gonna like I'm used to Unity now. Well, you know, even that we I've been using Unity for two years now. Right. But if I was like I'm gonna start a new Unity project, yeah, I actually wouldn't know where to no, start. No, no, you like, hope I there's even, a new in the project full of directory because yeah. you have no idea how to actually. I don't know how I would get something on the screen. Right. I don't know how we yeah. get it to move around. Well, we all know? graphics like, programmers <laughs> always are like the first triangle takes all the time. Yeah. After that, you're fine. But like <laughs> right, your first right, exactly. triangle is behind you and flipped backwards right. and doesn't have a texture on it. You have yeah. no idea how to get the first triangle on the screen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. So that first triangle, once you've got a triangle, the rest of the game is basically done. Yeah, yeah when I when I started Offworld, like I, I first built, my first thing I, I started building, I actually did an OpenGL. Yeah. Um, and the thing that took me the longest to do, like I was like, okay, open jail, great. All right, I drew a yeah, triangle. It's right. green. Yeah, awesome. I can uh, halfway you know, there. Green is one type of train. <laughs> yeah. Now brown is a different type of train. Yeah, yeah. Is a different type of train. Oh, I can make it, make them like make them look like hexagons. Yep. Awesome. This is great. Okay, at some point, I want to get text on the screen. In, I mean, obviously, yeah, you can write you can write text directly. You know, I want yeah, yeah. the world, right? right. In world. Uh, well, how am I going to do that? Well. Okay, I guess I can just make some JPEGs. How do I get a JPEG into OpenGL? Right. Oh crap! Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Which it's, it's again, it's another twenty lines of code. If you've got, you just got to figure out where the right yeah, place exactly. is. And like, and I looked at a bunch of open source like, yeah, yeah, tools yeah. and loaders, and like, I'm like, this is way more complicated. This seems like it needs to be right. Whatever. And like, you know, and now, now I have a team. And I have a guy yep. who is, does that for me. Yeah, like, yeah. Great. So, you know, next project, I'm going to be like, okay, I need train, I need a unit, I need text on the screen. Go do that for a week, and then I'll, right. I'll be gone or, for six months. Or you'll take Offworld and just delete everything. Yeah, yeah, that's the Down to that is yeah. the thing. But then, the, I mean, the... the uh, the downside to doing it that way is you end up with the same thing, kind of just going... So, like, I, you know, Spy Party was an indie game jam project. Right. And there's still pieces of the indie game jam yeah. thing in there because it's like not worth my time right now to remove it, and yeah. so it's like I've got to eventually fix that stuff. Yeah. But yeah, you end up with like bringing a bunch of baggage along. But yeah. like I've never, do... I've never done game jams at all, basically. Yeah, I, I don't I, like them. I well, I mean, I always assume my problem would be like, 
I wouldn't get anywhere because I'd be taking no. the entire 24 hours to like just figure out how to like well, usually, get, get the program started. Right. Well, right? usually you start with it. Like well, the way we did it when we came up with the Indie Game Jam right. thing. Uh, you take uh, some basic tools. We, we provided a like, you know, we made an engine for people. Like yeah, the, okay. that, that Indie Game Jam was, uh, I don't know when that was. It was the very first one, but it was like 2001 or something like that. And so we actually had a sample app that drew the sprite guy. You know, it was a, the theme was 100,000 guys because yep, yep. we realized you could do 100,000 sprite, Doom sprite characters at, you know, 50 frames a second or whatever. Yep on modern hardware back then and so we had like you know Doug Church and I had written Angry God Bowling where our bowling right. ball goes through a giant mass of these dudes and splats onto the th- texture so we had all the little pieces Sean Barrett had written like a flocking thing that scales to 100,000 people flocking and yeah. things like that so um, so most jams but I mean nowadays everybody just uses Unity period like, sure it's yeah, just, yeah. yeah. Um, um, I mean that sounds great like I mean I, I totally understand yeah, yeah. you know like we all have some basic you know, piece of you know, basic prototype. We're all building off of. Yeah, we can go my problem with directions. jams is actually that uh, I mean, well, there's two things. One, I have really bad ADD, so I never. And I was always organizing it, so I never got a game going. Which, in Spy Party's case, was a total blessing in disguise. Because if I had gotten the game to quote unquote jam ready. Maybe I wouldn't have realized. Maybe I wouldn't have developed, kept developing afterwards. Basically, what happened was at the Indie Game Jam four, so the fifth one, because we mm-hmm. started from zero in that nerdy programmer way. Um, I think it was the fourth one. We got EA to give us the Sims assets. This is mm-hmm. while Spore was going on. Yeah. Um, we got EA to give us the Sims assets, as, and we did people interacting was the theme, right? And so I, there was a game from the first indie game, the zeroth indie game jam, that was uh, called Dueling Machine that Thatcher Ulrich and Mark LeBlanc had done that had, like, one, two unique people in a city of 30,000 people, and you're going through, and you have a sonar ping, and you're trying to find, one person has one bullet, and you're trying to find the other person. And I was like, oh, what's the more intimate, actually animated character version of that? And once I came up with like, oh, it's a cocktail party and a spy. Oh, and then the game kind of designs itself once you've got that. But I never got it working. Like I had the characters walking around and the thing and I had you could look in. Yeah. But I never got it working because I was busy, like, you know, fighting fires, like getting the like build server or build running for the thing or the source code control crash or whatever happens at a jam or ordering dinner or yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah. you know. Um but I'm glad because it kind of stuck in my head, and then I kind of, I mean, it slowly kind of dawned on me that there's like a, actually a deep game there. So I'm glad, but I don't, I, I have such bad ADD, and that like getting anything done in three days, four days is, I mean, some this is why it's like crazy. Like we did four full days, like fly in to stay in hotels, do it, quote unquote, right. Nowadays there's like one and two day jams. I don't know how anybody does anything in those. Yeah. Like, and so what would, and this John Blow and I have written about this online, but like. We finally like stopped doing the indie game jam just because like it kind of felt like the problem was solved that we were trying to solve, which is like there's no shortage of wacky experimental games nowadays. You know, yeah. what there's a shortage of is deeperly, de- more deeply explored, interesting new and different games. And so we did that depth jam thing, which we can talk about or not, but uh, yeah. um, which is written about online. Well, back when you guys were talking about, I mean, back when the indie jam, indie jam, it's funny, but you mentioned it, I realized, wow, I haven't actually thought about that in five years. Yeah, the indie years. game jam was literally yeah fourteen years ago. Already. Yeah, and I remember like hearing about a GC and like, oh, that sounds really cool because the reason in, in the context of the times like there was just so f- the oh, yeah the games are so narrow yeah totally like there were like five types of games yeah exactly basically and like yep. the innovative games quote-unquote were just like minor variations right. off of that stuff every right? once in a while a new genre would magically pop out of nowhere but there's no thing like on you on itch right now and like <laughs> there's just eight billion yeah. games all of which are completely crazy yeah. and different and so, new and interesting and like the indie game jams was like one of the few outlets for yeah. any sort of like, yeah game and so at all, basically. shortly after indie game jam was this thing called ludum dare which is mm-hmm. still cranking yep. uh, that's the, uh, that's a 48 hour game jam yep. and the one th- there's a couple things I, I i super i think it's super awesome they're doing it and keep going and they, they announce the theme right before the thing starts and whatever i don't like the fact that it's only two two days yeah i mean they're trying to keep it 
a weekend so that yeah. people can do it, and that has clearly made them have the longevity, which is awesome. Um, and some really cool games have come out of you know, mm-hmm. like I think Papers Please even maybe was a, oh, really? was a Ludum Dari game. Cool. Um, but uh, uh, I mean, obviously not the finished one, but you know. Yeah. But and then also it's a competition, which I we we very mm, yeah. purposely made it not a competition, um, and I think that's actually important. So I don't like mixing the competitive. I mean, here we're both making esporty competitive games, so we clearly have an appreciation for competition. But like from a creative standpoint, I don't think it necessarily helps. So I don't even understand how that would work. Yeah, you vote. I mean, on, yeah. on Ludum Dari, they have this giant web form where you download the game and vote and all this stuff. So I mean, you don't have to. There's still just yeah, a bunch yeah. of games that get made, you know. Anyway, but just I, a lot of game jams, like the global, global the global game jam. I don't know if it still is, but was a competition. And we told them, like, man, you don't, don't, you know, they asked us for advice early on when they were starting that thing. Um, and we were like, well, just don't make it a competition first off. Make it longer and make it not a competition. But anyway, I mean, I th- they're all good. It's just it became not the problem anymore. You know, the experimental games are everywhere now. Yeah, the yeah. EGW is packed with games every year. <laughs> we have like, no shortage. Yeah, there is no problem. Um, we do have a shortage of really deep, interesting games about new and different topics, yeah. though. Well, okay, let's jump back to all right, yeah. why games were... What you know? What you said was you know you were interested in well you're interested in art and then you became interested in you right know, it was like computers art. and then art, art and then computers again and then games are the perfect confluence of all the coolest stuff about and what computers. were those games and were there games like did you connect with it games was right about the then? Doom time yeah. right so Doom was huge yeah I mean Underworld so. Underworld, Doom. I mean, Underworld was more formative to me as a designer, programmery person than Doom was because mm-hmm. Doom just seemed like magic. Like no one can do Doom except for John Carmack, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, now it's like, oh, okay, it's like I see how it works or everything like that. But the, is that just the, because it was so much smoother than Underworld? It or? just was like, uh, I mean, Underworld. I never, Underworld was magic too, but it was. Different. I never, I never played Underworld, so like, I, uh, yeah. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. So like, um, I'm just a very looking glass school game designer yeah. in that sense of like, there's that. It's a diaspora I, I could, now. I could totally see how the design. Would the design of Underworld would be I would find very interesting, right? Yeah, yeah. And like Doom to me was like interesting technically, right? I mean, Doom was awesome. I put way more hours into Doom than I put into Underworld. It was beautiful and amazing. But Doom is kind of like uh, there's an intro to um, uh, uh, what's the David Foster Wallace book, the giant thick one, um, uh, Infinite Jest. Yeah, Infinite Jest, where the the intro in the book. Uh, the version of it that I have is by Dave Eggers, who's another one of that class yep. of like hipster, very literary type yep. people. And he is talking about how most books you can like, uh, um, you know, you can kind of take it apart like a car or something and go like, oh, it's working because this hooks up to this and that's interesting. It doesn't make it any it doesn't make it bad or anything, but like you can see the pieces interacting. Right. And he's like, infinite Jess is like an alien spaceship. Like you could probably break it into pieces, but you have no idea. It's like this alien technology. And doom was kind of like that at the time. Like no one had done, I mean, full screen, completely immersed, you know, just like buttery smooth. Yeah, I mean, I don't... Networked. I, I've never cared that much about 3D graphics. So yeah. I literally don't remember, like, what the big difference is. Well, remember, I was kind of into VR Ultima back at the time. Doom. Well, so Ultima Underworld had... So Ultima Underworld was a it was more general engine. It was actually 3D, not 2.5D. Like, it was full oh, 3D okay. engine, yeah. right? It had an affine texture mapper, which means the textures would warp. They weren't a perspective texture mapper because okay. the divides were very expensive back then. Doom was not a full 3D engine, but because John... Carmack is a genius at that knee of the curve design and technology. He mm-hmm. knew exactly where to hit it for the 46s of the day or whatever. It had, I mean, 
uh, I'm gonna. I can't believe I'm gonna do this because I'm not a VR fan. But like that presence thing, like it just mm-hmm. had this additional thing. Where so Underworld, you look at the screen. Yeah. You probably don't remember. You actually, you probably played games like that were dungeon crawlers that had the little window. Or sure, yeah, yeah. So there was, that. there was UI. Well, there was there was your whole like dude, yeah. which would be on the Do- Diablo on the side. You know, an inventory I, screen you know, was it, there. It's, it's a descendant of Dungeon Master, I assume. Right, but I mean, the reason you did that is because you don't have the fill rate to fill the whole screen, even yeah. three twenty by two forty. Yep, yep, yep. So you had, but you, I mean, it was a real three D window with lighting and everything, and they. they did all the looking glass. It was just a dirty looking glass game as opposed to a crystalline John Carmack game. And so mm-hmm. it meant things like oh, they had a rendering bug that looked really cool so they turned it into when you eat a mushroom, they turn on this rendering mode that like warped all the screen and everything. There's just all those looking glass ideas that became this kind of like, you know, a lot of the Doug Church and 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 uh, Mock and Clint and all the looking like Harvey and all the looking glass school designers who are now a- around the industry. Yep. Um, I mean, a lot of those people were never even at looking glass. They just sure. kind of like, you know, yeah, became yeah. Um, uh, from from Underworld and Shock and Thief and even Flight Unlimited, you know, and, uh, uh, um, and um, Terra Nova and all those games. Like, that empowering the player, get off the stage, let the p- player be in charge, like, you know, make this really interactive, you know... Um, uh, world and so the like the tech was all geared towards that inventory and like you you know like they, there was this like awesome stories from that era of like the they had the orcs which would follow you around in the dungeon and chase you like if you would run there were chasms in the thing and so you could run and jump across it and um, the orc would come up to the edge and then realize it needed more of a run, this AI in this mm-hmm. era and back up get a running start That's and right. go and no one because you're running away no one ever no, ever saw, saw that, that yeah. right? It's just, oh, the work's on the other side of the thing. But it actually did the right thing. That was just the looking last way to solve problems, right? right? Like, yeah. Carmack would never You're do just something like, like that. let it jump. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah, it's just, <laughs> I mean, like, uh, yeah, or just don't have a chasm. Or who, I mean, there's just a million <laughs> things you could do to simplify it. Yeah. Um, uh, and so... Um, which is why it's interesting to have like you know that that famous uh, thing that came out a few years ago about the whole like old school level design which had showed like E1M4 or yep. whatever with it and then modern shooter design which had the, the like the line yep. yeah but like compared to like a looking glass game Doom was that line you know so it's like <laughs> um, so it's everything's relative right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but uh, and looking glass also is partly how I got into the industry so we can talk about that in a second it actually was you know we're at the GGC we're at the tail end of the GGC advisory board meeting right, uh, right now and one of the reasons I put in all the sweat and tears for the GDC is because that's actually how I got in the industry, mm-hmm. which we can talk about as a story, which is kind of interesting. But um, but yeah, just those games. So Doom, Underworld, games around that time. I mean, SimCity was right around then, too, or SimCity 2000. SimCity Sim, Sim 2000 maybe had started coming Yeah, out. it would have been around then. Yeah, yeah. Because SimCity 2000 was not 2000. It was like 90, <laughs> whatever. I don't know. I remember playing it at Microsoft. They should, so. have, they should have realized that that name, well, whatever. Well, Microsoft <laughs> then released Windows 95, and yeah. Windows, so who knows. But uh, but we, I remember we had like the LAN, uh, you know, we had to hook up a hub. Mm-hmm. And a LAN in Microsoft, and to play Doom, and we were yelling in that way that like Microsoft had a bunch of like immature kids <laughs> working for them. But um, okay, so Sim City, Sim City Two. So yeah, so around that time, the games I remember from that time, obviously Doom and Underworld were huge because um, uh, I was into 3D. Like I was into this idea of creating an alternate reality, right? Like mm-hmm. I was not from you. I don't know if you and when you were young were that way, but like now you're much more about the like strategic kind of mental landscape of the game. Whereas right. I was much more about the, like you're in the space, you know? Right. Um, I think I've, I've got a much greater appreciation for design for design's sake now, as mm-hmm. opposed to design to put you in an alternate 3d environment that you can navigate, like the kind of immersive fallacy stuff that Frank Lance talked about. Like, um, you know, this idea that the goal is not, 
the holodeck. Like, mm-hmm. that's a bullshit goal right. for games, which is why this VR shit pisses me off now, because it's, like, not solving any of the problems that we actually need to solve. But mm-hmm. anyway, that's a different... Uh, I mean, it's cool. It's, like, I, it's fun, yeah. but I mean, it's To me, not, it's, just, it's a different thing, right? Yeah. Like, it's well, not going to solve the problem for games. But, I mean, but it's, but it's, but it's I, a very interesting So if thing. I'm going to... But it, that's true. It's a different thing. I think about it like, a couple different ways. One, it, that it's different in the sense that, like... Hey, it's just another like the Wii U or like the you know Kinect or whatever. It's hey, it's a different input output mechanism, and that's cool. More input outputs right. is interesting, right? Um, it's certainly like pro- it, it probably has a wider bandwidth than some of those. Like Kinect, you know, is probably narrower, in, in, less interesting, maybe. Um, but uh, um, well, and at some point, this the, the Stalinistic like quantity has a quality all its own thing happens, yeah. right? Well, I mean, but it's, it... but it's not the hard part. It's not the problems we were running into. And so here's my cynical thing, which is like it's it actually sets us back on those problems because now oh now we have 10 more years of rendering because now it's 90 hertz times two and like <laughs> so it's like oh, all right we're back to like trying to squeeze enough polygons out yeah you know whereas we were finally getting to this like renaissance of like gameplay where gameplay for gameplay's sake was happening which was great and interesting so i yeah. hope it doesn't well i think most of the gameplay that we enjoy and that we like it's just it's just not possible on vr to begin yeah, with right. so like it's just going to be a different thing that yeah but to me, to me it's more interesting is like the category of video games is like kind of this monster that just keeps getting bigger like it just keeps right. eating everything yeah. right like you know uh it's you know vr may be mostly just about presence and like being in this, this right. different space but yeah. people are gonna think of it like video games well do you like, think so when you so as a board game aficionado you like mm-hmm. do you think of i mean i i would assume you have in your ontology hierarchy in your brain you've got games and under yeah. that are video games and board games right or is there a, like overlap there because there are obviously video gamey board games and board gamey video games yeah you know i used to worry about this a lot more yeah right like you know i mean i um you know something like gone home i like yeah. i like mm-hmm. and it you know it it branches off of adventure games sort of yeah right which i always sort of thought of as games but the more i think like once i started making games and started seeing that I, what i really cared about was strategy games and like a game is a series of interesting decisions yeah. and like that whole branch of things like you know you start to i started to get a little um you know i, I got a little high and mighty about like that's what a game should be right right and like if a game has a spoiler it's not really a game right you know like yeah. if you can spoil a game it's not really a game right <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah, blah, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. but like the, the problem is is that <sighs> Video games is just a word, right? Right. And it's no, just, exactly. It's starting to just mean everything. It's useless to so, argue about definitions. I yeah, find. Like, so like that. Yeah. I, I like that's why it, it's just so upsetting that the internet wasted so much energy and made so many people feel shitty about what if it's a game or not. Mm-hmm. You know, for whether it's Gone Home or any of these yeah. any of these kinds of games. Like, am I, do I? Do I enjoy Gone Home? Is it something that like I right. thought was cool and interesting? Right. Like that end of story. Right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> and like, I mean, we need a cat. We, we so the way I think about games is uh as an art form mm-hmm. and well i usually say art and entertainment form because that allows you to like right. bring commerce into it because it's just, you got to sell stuff to make stuff right mm-hmm. for the most part and so you know there's this pantheon of art and entertainment forms mm-hmm. film you know and how you categorize tv you know the moving image you might want to say if you want to sure. be like really whatever but like there's film and tv and that kind of thing and then there's visual arts like sculpture painting and whatnot there's music and you know there's writing you know where theater falls is interesting you know there's yep. all kinds of things like that um but i want games to be held in that regard like you know that th- that not all games i mean you want your summer blockbusters and your stupid like you know kid projects and or you know student projects and your like you know slasher flicks and all your equivalent of in any of the other you know there's trashy romance novels all of these have trashy you know yep. um, versions but there are pinnacle works in these forms and i th- hope that in you know 50 or 100 years games are just like without 
irony or controversy just mentioned as one of those forms. You know, I mean, if you think about, if you think about the word movies, it's pretty stupid when you stop to think about it. Movies, like that makes no sense. So games, even though it means toy right now, yeah. hopefully will eventually. Yeah. I, mean, I to me, I believe, I mean, I think we're already there. We're just not used to thinking about games in like the the games that have hit that pinnacle in those terms, right? So, I, although like, I don't think that, like, I mean, it's it. I I was quite embarrassed to see, you know, when Ebert did the thing of like games aren't art and will yeah. never be art, um, yeah. thing, and then the internet exploded. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's it was embarrassing to read the comments, not what he said. He yeah. was a well thought out. I mean, I disagree. That's fine. You can disagree. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's the news flash on the internet. You can disagree. Right. That's cool. Um, <laughs> like two intelligent people can have a conversation and disagree but uh but the games people were telling him to play i'm trying to imagine robert e- roger yeah. ebert playing bioshock yeah because what you do in bioshock is run around and shoot yeah, shit. it's there's no way anyone who's not a gamer is yeah. going to think that that's like art and you can definitely see the startings of an art a mature art and entertainment form in that or braid or flower yeah, it's, or whatever. it's artic- artistic in the context of yeah, like but we have a ways the, to go yeah, i mean there's yeah there's a chasm so i mean like yeah well, for one thing, it's just a generational issue. Like, if you don't but, no, have... But, uh, but that's what I'm saying. I think there's the work as well. Yeah. We're not doing the work yet. In this... Film in... I don't actually know if about the history of film. I study the history of film not in the, like, went to film school kind of way, but mm-hmm. I, like, I'm a... Uh, I, I'm a student of film uh, because, for one specific reason, and it has to do with games, is that it's the one art form that's kind of come up and matured right. in... I mean, it in comic books. There's actually two. Yeah. But the, 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 the one art form that has come up in written history so we can see exactly what happened. And right. in, like, 1905 in film, the movies that were popular were The Littlest Train Robbery, which was a sequel to The Great Train Robbery, refilmed with kids... Sounds a lot like a video game, you know, like a video game sequeling, and a movie about a guy losing his swim trunks in like a beach in like the Netherlands or whatever. Like it's just yeah. like gar- garbage, right? Like they just didn't know what they were doing yet, mm. and that's okay because they were developing it, but they weren't claiming they were like an art. You know, all the all the all the like fancy society people went to theater at that point. No one went to movies except for poor people in the Bijou. Yeah, we just have a ways to go still. So when we claim stuff, we don't do ourselves a service when yeah. we claim that something is like, you know, you're not comparing Bioshock to Infinite Jest. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I don't yeah. I don't want to claim anything really. Yeah. Like, it's it's not in my job anyway. Yeah, like, yeah. I like, mean I just trying to make I, I'm just trying to b- push the ball forward and like I don't mean to be like super controversial about it or anything. It's just like I don't think that we're there yet and I think we should just kinda heads down and work for a while. Mm-hmm. Play the games, make them better, give cr- good cre- crits yeah. and stuff like that. Um I guess to me the the thing is like I don't think we're I don't think we know what the yardstick is yet yeah, yeah. to measure ourselves. No, totally. And like there are accomplishments that have been made, like something, like something like Tetris is like will always be this shining yeah. accomplishment. That, oh, like, it's amazing! Will be. I mean, like, Doom is a perfect example as well. Like, it's a beautiful game. Yeah, um, and so it's like we don't like that. We've we've already achieved stuff like that. And it's just going to get it's just yeah, going to get better. It's going to get better and better. We're just not used to thinking yeah. of like how what you know what is what is the ideal version of games that we right. are trying to make. Right, which is why I kind of stopped doing rants and articles about mm. this kind of thing because at some point, like the best thing I could do right now is make Sprite Party really good yeah. and hopefully move the ball an incremental micron forward on whatever yeah. direction I think is important. Which in my case yeah. is like human simulate, you know, humans interacting yeah. and like behavioral stuff, like subtlety, whatever, yeah. you know. Um, and you're doing stuff with your thing and like you know, you nonviolent yeah. strategy, you know, that kind of thing. Like I think, and I, this is a kind of theme on the advisory board, the GDC advisory board is like you know. Of talk talking about how games should be something is I'm just not that interested in that anymore. Yeah. Like ten years ago, sure. 
Like that was those were new ideas back then. But yeah. now it's just like just go make a game, man. I don't care if it's a Twine game or a Flash game or a Unity game or like an Unreal Engine game. Yeah. Like if you've got ideas about how to make games better, go make one. Yeah. And for sure, don't have it. Don't argue with someone who doesn't have games literacy. Right. That's. Yeah. <laughs> that's no. Yeah. Not a good use of anyone's time. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah exactly. But anyway, all right. Where were we? Uh, we're at Microsoft. <laughs> <laughs> so, right, my, so, you, you, so, so you saw you saw these games. You, you saw the yeah. And so what I did was Microsoft. I went there on NT to work on NT, which is what Windows is now. Mm. Windows used to have a 16-bit version, and then there was a 32-bit version, and then there was the real OS version. Yep. Back then, there was no real OS version. Like if you had an app that crashed, you brought the whole system down. Your computer just went off. Yep. Right. And so, at, this was right around the time of 32-bit chips were relatively ubiquitous now and so they realized they could do a server operating system that became eventually the just the operating system um and so i was working on that for a little while and there's fun stories from a you know you know history of computer story there like dave cutler punching holes in walls and stuff he was this guy he did vms at deck okay and like he was just this fire plug of a marine guy and like literally punching holes in a wall like kind of thing and uh he he even uh he wrote he was kind of a like a guy you would idolize a little bit. Um, he, uh, I mean, from a technical, like he managed 300 programmers, um, and, uh, also wrote the MIPS page fault assembly code. Like that level of like being able to span, but I mean, I don't want to be like a guy who punches holes in walls, but it's kind of amazing. Someone who can have that level of like, you know, scalability or whatever. Uh, so I was not, cause I was young and a prima donna and whatever I was not interested in working on server operating systems, I realized, even mm. though it's cool. And that once you're in Microsoft, you can move around and stuff, you know. So I moved to um, what was called Advanced Consumer Technology. This was the day, you may remember this day in 93, 94, where set-top boxes were going to be the game consoles of the future. Mm. And, like, SGI was trying to design a set-top box yeah. and all this stuff. And so we had a group that was working on that, and it turned into a just total mess. Um, and so I was in that group, but I realized that you could do games. So Win95 was not out yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had this, I was like, okay, games aren't on windows and they should, they could be, there's no problem blitting to the screen nowadays on, you know, like computers. So all we need to do is make a library that allows people to do that. And that hooks, you know, at the lower level, we test, you know, different grid. We want to wrap all the differences between video card architectures back then and make it so you could, yeah. yeah, And just make it so you could blit pixels to the screen. And if you do that, you can make a video game now. Um, cause you can play sounds, you can do all the other stuff. And so we made this thing called WinG as a skunk work project mm-hmm. um, that became a big thing. Um, and all the games and, you know, that were from windows for a while, used it until like DirectX. you know, DirectX. the people who did DirectX were testers and stuff on the WinG project. So uh-huh. I wanted to do something else, but they were all, you know, involved. So it was like, it was the first WinG was the first time you could ever run a game on windows. So we went down, I knew John Carmack from, uh, um, I can't remember if Mike Abrash introduced. I think he met Mike Abrash over uh, the internet, and they were talking, and then they introduced me, and so we, you know, became friends. And we went down and we ported Doom to Windows, mm-hmm. and uh, did a GDC talk where we revealed it, Win Doom, you know, uh-huh. and we showed it running on a forty-six computer that we had lugged down and plugged into the thing, and people were like just blown away um because everyone at the time was like, "Those games will never run on Windows, right? You had to reboot to DOS to play games mm-hmm. back then." So. um why did they have a conceptual problem with that? That seems so strange. But now. why did it take the game industry so long to switch to C plus plus? Like it's just like it's not. There's no. There, you just assume it's not possible until yeah, it's shown like, it's you're, possible. You're, right? you're telling me about this issue that I just never even imagined. Well, nowadays you can't imagine not yeah. running your game on Windows because why would you? Yeah, but back back then it's like you literally had to boot a DOS. But it's like a computer. 
Yeah, but it was so slow. <laughs> it was so immensely slow. Yeah, okay. But, what okay. The, but the trick they was... Thought, they thought it was, you know, the resources were... Yeah, yeah, but I mean, at the end of the day, like, it's you not... You use as much of the yeah. computer as possible, which right. is why you want... But back then, yeah. you could own the computer as a single app. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even yeah. in Windows. Okay, all right. So it was just a thing. I mean, it's just one of those things where it's like, we realized it internally. Uh-huh. Realized that this is a thing that we're obviously just going to have to show people as possible. I mean, I assume we thought it was possible. Yeah. Like, we probably didn't know... Mm-hmm. We had blit tests that were like running at a thousand frames a second. Well, that's probably not true, but like running at you know frame rate for doing stuff. But we didn't have a really cool example, and a really cool example is obviously at the time Doom, and so we did Wind Doom, and like that just became a yeah. big deal. Um, but that that kind of cemented my like, all right, games are clearly where it's at. Like it's right. just way more exciting. The people are smarter and f- more fun and cooler, and just like it's just like the it's the cutting edge of what you use a computer for. Like right. it's just the coolest thing to do with a computer. So I actually. Um, after when G left, they were going to start at the DirectX group, and I didn't want to be part of that, and just went to the um, multimedia group back when multimedia was a thing at Microsoft, and wrote the render for uh, the Microsoft World Atlas, which is basically a Google Earth kind of thing. They needed a three D renderer, you know, and so I wanted to learn how to ship apps because I hadn't, I had only done, you know, if I'm stuck. Games were the thing. Why didn't you want to work on DirectX? Uh, because I didn't want to work, work on system stuff anymore. So there's, okay. there's different kinds. It's like, there's, there's basically like, there's, there's, there's apps and systems. And this yeah. is actually the, this was the divisional separation at Microsoft. Mm-hmm. So like there was Word and Excel and whatever office. And yeah. then there was OS's like Windows yeah. and Windows NT. Right. And like you were one or the other. And the systems people had all the quote unquote power mm-hmm. because like, you know, you're defining the APIs for everybody or whatever, but you're never actually doing anything. Yep. Right. You're just enabling yeah. people to do stuff. Yep. And so whereas in apps, like you, you know, people, people use Microsoft Word. They could give a fuck what OS it's on. Right. So I was just like a clearly apps i want to make games right right? kind of like an app games are an app i mean that's you know games i don't want to make os services anymore like i could have easily and this is right around the time when like you know direct 3d was being defined and we had bought render morphics and like there's just all this politics involved in systems and it's just like i just want to go learn how to make 3d graphics programs and then go make a game company yeah and so um so i went and did this render for microsoft world atlas and then uh, kind of got a, vi- a feel for like, okay, here's how, you know, these kinds of things. And you lay it out on the CD like this and whatever. And so I quit in 96 and started Definition 6, my little startup company. The same time I quit, Gabe and Mike started Valve. Okay. Like within a month yeah. or so. So that Gabe, uh, I knew from Windoom. I mean, Gabe heard about WinG, came over and we met. And then he and I made the wind doom, you know, we like, you know, he, he's actually the person who we, we made the demo. We flew down there and made the demo and then he took it and they actually shipped wind doom from right. it. Um, and then, uh, uh, and then Mike Harrington was working on Microsoft Bob at the time, which is a WinG internal client because they needed a lot of bitmap stuff, right? Oh, yeah. Remember, remember Bob? I, I still have my Microsoft Bob t-shirt. It's so awesome. Wow. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, the, the funny thing about Bob is that the research that was based on was actually pretty interesting. So uh-huh. these guys named Nass and Reeves, who are these researchers at Stanford, these psychologists, studied how people interact with computers mm-hmm. as if the computer was a person, meaning yep. not... Meaning they did this psychology study pretending the computer was a person. What's this person interacting with them feeling like? Mm-hmm. And basically the person, the person, the, the computer was a passive aggressive asshole. Cause mm-hmm. I mean, think about it for a second. Like nothing, nothing, nothing error box, right, yeah. you know, like uh, nothing, nothing, error, you know, like it's just like completely lame. So Bob was the result of trying to like work with that. Let's make the computer actually not a passive aggressive asshole. Now, obviously 
we could go for hours about how that's completely misdirected in the way that you might do that or whatever. But the core research is kind of interesting, actually. Yeah, I, I know, I know some about that. My favorite anecdote of like one of those side studies yeah. was something that was done in Japan, huh. which is that. Um, so yeah, you know, they discovered how like yeah, ba- people basically think computers are people. Yeah, right? like that's how they relate. That's how you relate to anything, right? In the world. Yeah. And so they had this study in Japan where um, because Japan everything's very. Like clan or family based, right. right? You know, like uh-huh. people think of everyone different groups, or you know, when sure. people join the companies, they're like yeah, yeah. hierarchical man, and yeah, yeah, exactly, man, right. So, you, what do they do? Is you you use a um, you use a computer, yep. you do some task, and then you go to a different computer, and it would say like, uh, well, okay, you would do some task where the computer would help you. Like finish it, yeah. Like you got some problems solved, and you're like, "Hey, what about this?" You know, right. suggest these solutions. So right. I did something nice for you, and then you would go to another computer, and then it would ask you to do something for it. Okay, right? Yep. And um, so I think in the U.S. they would have run a study like that and mm-hmm. figured out, like, oh, if if the computer helps you first, you're more likely to help out the second computer. Okay, right? Fine. Okay. So in Japan, I mean, probably that same thing is true, but what they discovered is. If a Mac helped you before, you were more likely to help a Mac later. Right, because it's on your if clan. A, if a Windows machine helped you before, you're more likely to help the Windows. But if they crossed it, like if a Mac right. helped you, then, then you're like, you it's to dead Windows. Yeah. It was like, ah, it's all right. No, yeah. <laughs> I'm okay. <laughs> so it's even like, like, yeah, it's like cultural, like, yeah, oh, man. I mean, I think it's really complicated. And I think that, like, uh, I mean, you just you watch people play games, and it's, UI is still just a giant mess, just probably for partly these reasons. Like, what is the right way to teach people? I mean, with Spy Party, it's super complicated complicated and very inaccessible right now. And I have people read a manual and like telling them to read a manual, like has both positives and negatives, actually. Mm -hmm. Like the negatives are obviously like, what? I have to read a manual. The, the, The positives are like, wow, it sends a message about how, you know, this game's deep and, and, and got a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. So, like, if you can get them past that first episode, there's, it's very complicated, like, how people react to yeah. stuff. And, um, uh, yeah, I'm, we're about to do, redo the UI, and I have no idea what I'm going to do, basically. So, yeah. like, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, it's hard. But so, anyway, that, so that was Wingy and Mike Harrington, so half of Valve. Mike Harrington and Gabe Newell started it. Yep. They started at the same time. And then the people who did Cranium... We're okay. from the Microsoft World Atlas team. Uh-huh. One of them was. Remember, Cranium was a big hit. It was yeah. that like, kind of like, I'm going to glom together every popular board game yep. ever. Yep. Like, it was very Microsoft like design. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, all right, yeah. that was like Pictionary worked. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like, Trivial Pursuit. Box, yeah. yeah, exactly. And it sold, I mean, they were in Starbucks. Yep. Like, it sold really well. So the three companies that started in 1996 were Valve Software, the people who did Cranium, who eventually got bought by, like, Mattel or whatever, mm-hmm. and Definition 6. <laughs> 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 I mean, one of, these, one of these things is not like the other. I don't know. Like, uh, so yeah. So, um, I, oh, so what did you th- what did you think you were doing? So we were uh, going to make a game. Mm, what type of game? And it was uh, it it was a. Did you ever see the Carl Sims Virtual Creatures thing from SIGGRAPH ages ago? Mm-hmm. It kind of went around the like arty programmery community back Uh then. Basically, Carl Sims was this researcher in a couple different places, but Thinking Machines, which is the connection machine, that crazy Uh big parallel supercomputer thing. But he was a kind of arty procedural generation kind of guy, and he did this genetic algorithm bred, so he'd breed inside the computer these virtual creatures that were like, you know, basically physically simulated boxes, like of Mm -hmm. different sizes, with different actuators between them to make muscles, and they're little sensors for light and whatever. Mm -hmm. And he would give them challenges, like get to the end of the finish line, you know, or swim or whoever can cover up the, whoever can get the block on their side, the Mm -hmm. center block. And he, 
like made these super awesome. They look like aliens or sea creatures or whatever because they're bred completely. They were just these completely virtual creatures, and so like everybody fell in love with those, and everyone was like, "Oh my gosh, this is the coolest thing ever!" Um, and you still see people doing this kind of thing in Unity nowadays because now throwing a bunch of boxes with a physics simulator together is like three lines of code. Back right. then, I had to teach myself physics, and there was no. I mean, this was pre havoc and everything. So I t- taught myself rigid body dynamics, and and his things were totally offline, like they were not real time. But I realized that like computers were fast enough maybe to do this kind of stuff mm-hmm. that. It Floating point units now, yep. and you know this kind of thing. So, so I basically like uh, we started to do this game that was not a game. I mean, it, I didn't know anything about game design. I thought mm-hmm. I did, but I yeah. just I didn't know anything. And so we were going to make some game around this technology. So we spent all this time making this engine, and it had implicit surfaces, and like mm-hmm. internal. Like it was crazy. Um, amount the amount of tech we had was insane. Um, it was way before. Like we had a full rigid body, articulated, you know, constraint bias dynamic simulator uh, I, before I, Havoc existed. I, I feel like the theme we're talking about here is going to reemerge. Yes. <laughs> later. So in this yeah. So we'll, but it's yeah, interesting. Yeah. No. No. Totally. I mean, there are definitely like <laughs> it's like I am the same person in some ways, but um, so like. Uh, and it never kind of came together. Like we never knew what, what like the what the game was. It was like first off, it was viruses in your bloodstream, and like and then it became. What were the verbs like? What well, was the good. Doing? I mean, that's a that's a very mature game designer question for you. <laughs> like, what the fuck? I mean, that, that no one even thought to ask that question. Okay, so it's like you do stuff. What do you mean? Right, it's yeah, a video yeah. game. It's cool. Look we'll figure that out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we had some kick ass demos, um, <laughs> uh, tech demos, and so I remember actually after uh, so years in like when we like had gone through a couple iterations of the game and we had a thing that we were kind of pitching to publishers. There was no indie. There was no Steam back. And there was yeah, no indie geez. anything, and that's even before the like the early it was indie. post shareware. Yeah, sure. that was dead. Mm-hmm. But before anything else, so we were going to get a publishing deal. We we're going to get a million dollars or something yeah. and staff up, and just that's what you did, and then yeah. get. Well, there were companies popping up all over the place. Yeah, I mean, so we time. were talked. We talked to Mitch Lasky at Activision, who's he's now at like Elevation Partners, right? You know, yeah, there was yeah. all the people back then, mm-hmm. and we had this killer tech demo of like rigid bodies around an implicit surface inside this thing and whatever. And then we had this terrible game that had evolved eventually to uh, to being like. A character-based platformer with physics in a in a like um, which people have only recently figured out, right? Like mm-hmm. it, it, there were a lot of really crappy physics-based platformers before people finally did something that wasn't terrible. So we were not one of the people who didn't do something that was. We were way early. I mean, this is before again before there was any licensable physics, but. Uh, we started pitching this, and people were always like, "Wow, that's really cool tech," but nothing, you know. And then one, I remember distinctly. This is after Half Life, so Gabe they had actually sold Half Life. I think Mike was still there. Or Mike had just left right. at Valve, um, but Val- Valve like had a clue at that point. Like they they flailed around with Half Life, which was called Quiver really early for a long time. Um, Quake Quiver, get it? And like, um, <laughs> oh, wow, yep. I didn't get it first. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, um, so. Uh, they uh, kind of had already started growing. It was pre half. It was pre Steam, so they had they were working on Half Life Two, but they hadn't. So they hadn't like almost gone out of business, and then made Steam, and then all of a sudden like ruled the industry. But so they, but they had a good game sense at that point, and like right, kind of like you know. And Gabe always had a good like product sense, like people mm-hmm. sense, you know, like what people want and stuff. And so I remember having Gabe over to show him our demo that we had just pitched at the GDC, at the CGDC back then to Activision and a bunch of people. And uh, and I remember summarizing. We walked him through our stuff, and it was like. Oh, and we have we have amazing technology and uh, um, and something else and compelling characters. He's like, no, you don't. 
<laughs> like just in that blunt, I don't know if you've ever talked to him, but like right. just that super blunt Microsoft-y way. And I was like, uh, and I continued with my pitch, right. but like it still resonates with me to this day because it's totally right. Like, you know, there was an article in Gama Sutra recently about that Airscape game. Did you see that? It's one mm-hmm. of the big, my quality game didn't sell on Steam Why okay. articles. It was yeah. like the big one that went around last week or whatever. What is Airscape? Yeah, so I, it was it was some students, but it was like polished and everything, and it ended up selling like literally forty five copies on Steam or something. Right. And they had like you know they couldn't get journalists involved and in, interested in whatever. And it was like nice art and everything. The guy burned a bunch of savings, and like the Steam Spy guy talks about it as like you know an example. as an example of someone writing up a thing. It's just it's just a thing that came, went around a couple weeks ago. Yeah, um, it's worth reading. But the reason it's one of the reasons it's worth reading is because. He, unlike me at the time, I mean, this guy who's writing this article is probably probably twenty something or maybe right. thirty. You know, like he's like, well, so clearly there's something else going on here. We had all the like, it was a cool game, like everybody who played it loved it, but we couldn't get anybody interested. It's like we made a game no one wanted. Mm-hmm. So like the recognition of like self crit there is really great. Like yeah. you're like, oh, there are just games, and 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 it's the funny thing is, I think I hopefully have developed that sense myself. So when I, the first paragraph when you describe the game, I'm like, oh man, it's obvious why this game flopped, yeah. right? And so like you probably have a pretty good sense of this as well now. I mean, if you've been making games, you know, like there's just this like we had just made it something that was just not interesting. Mm-hmm. Like we were just so in it. Mm-hmm. And so at the time, so like you know, you know, so well, you're solving different problems than the player, right? Like yeah, like yeah, we had this interesting. Fucking, yeah, stuff, no, like, it was, I taught oh, myself hey. math from scratch. Yeah, it was yeah. fucking awesome. I was, I really don't regret the, that part of it or anything. Um, but it, it, uh, yeah, it's just like it's so. Well, Sid, easy. Has, Sid is a very classic. It almost hmm. sounds too simple rule. Yeah, applies, but he says like the. Uh, the, the question you always need to do when you look at making a game is who's having the fun? Is it the right. player or the designer? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so easy to be having the fun as yep. the designer. Totally, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, um, and it's just, I mean, you can slip into that anytime. The, uh, I mean, that was a spore problem, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's, a, well, it's a lens for viewing how what, what went wrong on spore, but, um, uh, or the programmers making the game, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, so that flamed out. And eventually, like, two people left early. It was four people. Um, two of them left. And there was me and Casey Miratori mm-hmm. um, for a while. And then finally, it just was clear that nothing was happening. And then, so, I mean, it never shut down. Like, it's still a going concern in the sense that, like, I pay the $62 to Washington <laughs> to Washington State to keep the... the, the, the Is the, Spy Party being made by deficiency? Not right now. It's still DBA Chris Hecker, because I haven't figured out taxes-wise. Okay. Whether I want to, like, shut the company down and then move it to California or what the, I mean, I don't... You know, so it's all just a DBA right now as yeah. Chris Hecker. And so I pay the artist... The, you know, us, like I pay all the property or the not property, the the employment taxes yeah. and stuff as Chris Hecker. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I need to figure out if I'm gonna. I mean, I need to incorporate it once it starts making any money. Um, but uh, uh, I mean, I kind of want to make it D6 so they finally make a game. But then, like, <laughs> it's, oh, geez, I, it's funny because I have D6.com, which we bought for like twelve hundred bucks from some college student back in 90, <laughs> '96 or whatever, and I get like. Uh, it depends on the time of year, but I get like daily or weekly, you know, requests from China to buy this d- domain name. D six, D six, just like it's a two character domain name. Any two character. There are no two characters. So first of all, if, if a two character domain name ever lapses, you know, so A through Z are not yeah. uh, ever available. The only one that actually is available or not available. The only one that's not the uh, internet is X, which PayPal owns because it was they. They, before they took them all back, before they realized they shouldn't have given away the they single letter, them, yeah. they X was already taken, and so, oh, so they're just so not they, available. Right, they're, 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 they'll never be available. Yeah. Even if yeah, so um, none of them are except for X mm-hmm. uh, goes to PayPal, um, PayPal's DevRel site. But besides that, there's no. There might be one other one, but like, um, 
And then they realized 10 years after that, they're like, oh, we should have done the twos as well. Yeah. So all the twos are ba- are not available. I mean, most of them were taken. Um, and all the ones that weren't taken, they you know took back. Took back and yeah. now if ever lapses, they take it back. Um, so there's two sources of value to having a two-character name. So I get the $50,000, like, I mean, I need more zeros before I would consider, <laughs> like, you know, it needs to be able to fund the rest of the game if uh, I'm going to actually sell the... the well, that explains t- why you keep paying the, uh, the taxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so um... So anyway, but uh, where, where were we? So yeah, so D six has never shipped a game, mm-hmm. um, a, a total failure. Uh, but uh, if I transfer Spy Party to it, then that would be the first, hopefully, successful thing, or at least shipped thing. Mm-hmm. So where are we? So the, so D six flamed out. I went. I stayed indie and was working on a game about rock climbing. Mm-hmm. So now we're at like, I moved down to Oakland to be with my girlfriend at the time who I then married and we got divorced but we're still best friends but so and had a kid and everything so that was family stuff so I that was 99-ish time and yep. so um I uh was doing indie games and this was right at the beginning this is 2000 and so it's like you, you know it's like oh what's happening with this internet thing like are there games and you know like it was it was not as grim as it was publishing wise but that was the to get now we're finally coming back around to the like there was no way to sell games that weren't through big publishers yep. still, and that's mm-hmm. why the indie game jam was interesting. Yep. It's just there were the five games, like you said, and the you know, the different variations on them. But uh I mean that's probably that's probably I mean obviously you're just exaggerating, but yep. like or under whatever the opposite of exaggerating is. But um uh because there actually was a mid tier back then which doesn't exist anymore. Right. So there were some wackier games, like a game like XCOM or something was not a big game. Right. Well, I'd say the mid tier is back. Like, yes. Oh, now it is. Sure. For a while there, yeah, yeah, it was yeah, gone. It, got, yeah, yeah. it was yeah. It was this long yeah from the mid '90s where like there was there was I mean you know going all the way back like the '80s were crazy crazy like, yeah oh it was crazy I mean that's the yeah like, only now are we back to the craziness mm-hmm. of the '80s you know and, and and that was basically from '90 to 2000 was just one long you know yeah you know consolidation yeah exactly yeah 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 um, and so the early 2000s are really the grimmest time. Yeah, um, for for the games industry. So I was indie right. at the time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and trying to figure out what I was doing. I was burning. I had some savings from Microsoft, you know, uh, uh, ninety or whatever thousand dollars. But I lived cheap, and so and back then it wasn't that expensive to live. And so I kind of went on. And then we had our kid in two thousand three, and Jen was like, "All right, it's your turn to get a job." Because mm. she had been kind of supporting us from a rent standpoint or whatever. And so I was like, "All right, hey Will, who I had met just via various GDC stuff." I need a job. What are you doing? He's like, I'm working on this crazy thing, you know? And, uh, well, how, so how did you get involved with GDC? Like, so that's actually, okay. So now we're rewinding back to 94. Right. So the ACT group, advanced consumer technology, this, this nonsense, like set top box. We had the, like, I read the Sega Saturn, uh, Docs in Japanese. I mean, red is a is a kind word. I looked at the charts and the diagrams and the the, the ports and, and the you know like the mm-hmm. IO whatever in Japanese before it came out because they were going to maybe make a set pop box with us. And there yep. was just all these crazy deals where it was like you know. Um, so back then in the Microsoft Research Group, someone posted a CGDC flyer on a billboard. Like a little billboard with a pin in it, right? Mm-hmm. You're walking down to go to the bathroom. You're like, oh, I wonder what this is. It had the old CG computer yeah. game developers conference logo and right. the little ball bouncing around and everything. So, just for people who don't know, CGDC they used to be called the Computers Game Developers Conference. Yeah, Computer Game Developers Conference. In fact, my wife, ex-wife Jen, is the her when she the way I met her was she they sold the CGDC the people who 
some of the people who owned it, there's a controversy associated <laughs> with that, sold it to this company called Miller Freeman, which is a media group. Like, they had magazines, they had Game Developer Magazine for a long time, they had you know software development conference. They were conference and media thing. Yeah. San Francisco's lousy with those kinds of companies, or was. Yeah. Um, they've actually done a remarkable job of not fucking it up, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, it's UBM now, like it went through five acquisitions. But back sure. then it was called Miller Freeman. And... Um, uh, uh, but it, yeah, they took the C off when the consoles consoles got big. So this was remember consoles were dead during this time too. It was like the SNES a little bit, but there was no Sony. There was no PlayStation the One. PlayStation, yeah. yeah, there was no the Sega was kind of like where what it was not clear what was happening. You know, so consoles weren't a thing. Um, it was right at the beginning of 3D hardware, right? Like mm-hmm. you know, just starting to get like consumer grade boards and mm-hmm. stuff um, that were terrible, but like still pretty mind blowing. And the first time you ever saw GL Quake was just like what? Mm-hmm. It's the most mind blowing thing on a 3DFX Voodoo, you know, one mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, but uh, um, but so anyway, so back in '94. I saw this flyer and was getting into games at the point. I mean, like, kind of interested in like, oh, these games are kind of where it is. And I was like, I want to go to this. G-, you know, so I got Microsoft to send me the CGC thing with the full yep. pass and you know whatever. And so I went down there. It was kind of whoa. And I went. People to, were there at that point. It was in Santa Clara, and I don't know because I didn't ha- back then. I didn't have any idea, but I'm sure it was in the hundreds. Like it was very small. It was not Chris. It was not Chris Crawford's living room, <laughs> right. but it was a few years after that, and it yeah. was you know a few hundred you know people. Um, um, you know, Danny Barry was there. Danny Bar- Bunbury and like uh, I can't remember who the keynote was. It might have been Bruce Sterling that year mm-hmm. or somebody like that. It was just like the full on old school yep, like yep. computer game developers guys, um, Doctor Cat and all those people, right? And so, uh, um, Chris Crawford. Uh, I'm not sure if he was there that year because they had just gotten grumpy yeah. about the the cell thing. Anyway, but uh, I remember going to John Miles, mm-hmm. a talk by John Miles on Eye of Beholder Three, which he oh. wrote by himself. Wow. Okay. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Yeah. And so I worked for Mike Abrash at the mm-hmm. time, and uh, um, you know I was into assembly language optimization back then and everything because mm-hmm. that was a cool thing to do and whatever yeah. and texture mappers and all this stuff and like you know um, this is before WinG. I actually worked. For for Mike or had just stopped working for Mike and transfer. I go to John Miles' conference and the thing that's famous about John Miles, he wrote uh, he, what's called Miles Sound System now, yep. which every game uses, but it used to be called AL, Audio Audio Interface Library. Mm. And Looking Glass used it and a, you know Origin used it, uh, you know, and Ultima and a bunch, a bunch of other like PC games used it. It basically wrapped Sound Blasters and, yeah. and did mixing and stuff. Um, and he, but also he did that as like a side project that he licensed to people, but then like also was a consultant. And so he wrote I, the Beholder three, which, you know, one person wrote a game back then. Right. Yep, That's just yep. what you do. Um, and he was doing a, like a postmort or whatever, a postmortem on I, the Beholder three and some of the challenges or whatever. And he, I asked some like dickish hard, I'm smart, Mr. Know-it-all questions. And, uh, and then I went up afterwards to talk to him and said, oh, I'm, you know, because he had mentioned Mike Abrash because, like, we were all learning texture mapping loops and stuff. And, you know, it was the beginning of 3D rendering then and stuff. And uh, I went up to him afterwards at GDC at the CG, at, you know, he's on stage and, like, people go up after a talk, right? Mm. And I waited in line and talked to him. And he's like, you know, I was like, oh, Mike Abrash is my boss. And, you know, uh, you know. She started small talk that way, and he introduced me to Matt Toshlog, who was Looking Glass at the time, who introduced me to Doug Church, mm-hmm. and we all started hanging out that time, and we went to dinner, and mm-hmm. like, and that's how I like, I just grilled Doug about how the Underworld Renderer worked, because yeah. back then it's like, 
he knew how every single thing in the renderer worked, right? Yeah. Like, oh, here's how it fetches the texels from the thing, and here's how the map layout works, and here's how the, like, just, like, here's how the sprites are rendered, and the, like, thing. And so it's just, like, I was just, like, so hungry for information about how a magical game like that could work. I just, like, had him just type out the entire underworld renderer for me, you know? It was like, back then, 3D rendering was like the thing, right? It was like, you were a magician if you could get 3D on the screen. And they had this whole game about that, and it was just Mm -hmm. magic and awesome. And so I met all these people from Looking Glass and associated companies and whatever. Um, uh, I remember seeing Romero. We just said bye to Romero, because he's Brendo's on the board, and so he was hanging here as he he was here as her plus one. As the spouse. As the spouse. (laughs) Which is awesome. Yeah, which is totally (laughs) awesome. But uh, I remember seeing him walk by at that 94 GDC, and back then they had jackets that said Doom, and underneath it said Wrote It. Because it was the game. I mean, like, yeah, it was awesome. awesome. But uh, anyways, (laughs) um, and so let's see. Uh, so yeah, I, got, I just that's how I got in the industry in '94. And so the next year, '95, I had done Win G and we had done Win Doom. And so mm-hmm. I was on stage being the superstar by showing, you know, unveiling this crazy thing, mm-hmm. you know, this controversial, insane thing. We did press interviews and all this stuff. And so it was just like that's how I got in the industry is the GDC. So I have this warm feeling in my heart that like I always stand around or try to always when I do a lecture stand around and ask, answer questions. If some kid comes up to me mm-hmm. and like, you know, I always talk to them just yep. because that's how I got in. And like you got to pay it forward or whatever they. Like, you know, the dumb, dumb sentence, that dumb phrases. Um, so I think I have a much more like GDC centric, like, you know, uh, that's why I'm always confused. If I meet a game developer who is like GDC, I don't bother with that. I'm just like, Oh man, it was like kind of the way I know all my friends and like my wife and like the whole nine yards is just all this, you know, um, so did they, I mean, did you join the board shortly after that? Is yeah, well, they didn't have a board right. until they, they bought it right then. It must yeah. have been 95 or something yeah. like that that, that Miller Freeman bought it. And uh, they decided to create a board. And by that time, I was a columnist in GD Mag, yep. Game Developer Magazine. And um, uh, and I had done the Wind Doom thing, so I was mm-hmm. famous now. You know, internet. Yeah. Famous in the game industry back then when there was 500 people in the game industry or whatever. <laughs> but, you know... Um, and so, uh, so yeah, so they invited me to be on the board. And yeah, yeah. so, yeah, so it was like, um, yeah, that was right around then, 96 maybe right. or something. Like. I just left Microsoft, actually. Yeah. Yeah, so it must have been 96. All right. So that's how you met Will. So Will was just around in yeah. that way that he's because around. You're part yeah, so the GDC and, yeah, and whatever. And we weren't like super pals or anything, but I knew him from around, yeah. you know. Um, and so I called him up in whatever that was, 2003, when my daughter was born, right. or right before she was born. Um, uh, and was like, hey, you know, I'm looking around for work now because, you know, we're going to have a kid. Wait, we skipped over the rock climbing game. Oh, right. Well, there's not much to talk about there. <laughs> it, it, it actually went down the tech hole as well. I yeah. had this crazy... So, a couple things. One, it was written in a language called Objective Camel because I wanted to see what that was like. Okay. So I don't first think off, I've ever even heard of that. It's an ML derivative language. So, okay. it's a functional programming language. Okay. But it's, 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 a, it's an interesting language because it's like a, 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 it's an academic language but written by a bunch of people who like understand assembly language. So, mm-hmm. it's got the fastest garbage collector ever. And blah, blah. It's a good production ML language, which is not saying much, right? <laughs> And so uh, it, I was chicken of game. I mean, I, the the, the why theme you, is why did you want to make a rock climbing game? Well, I was into rock climbing, and okay. like you know, I was just like, oh, wonder. I wonder what the Tony Hawk of rock climbing games would be like. Okay, right? Like it's that you know, sports games were a thing. It was just kind of an interesting, like, oh, could you get this? Mm-hmm. I had no. And you were like, going to make it by yourself. What were you going to? do? Yeah, yeah. It? I mean, I had made it by myself. I was doing the art myself. I mean, I could yeah. still, you know, it was what like, did you think you were going to do with it? I think I thought I was going <sighs> to. It was right. So, 
I don't. Was there was Steam around then? Oh no. I mean, when was Steam? When did Steam happen? I remember Steam was announced. At, I think it was GC two thousand three or four. It was okay. right around then. I remember like, okay. the talk. From yeah, that. I don't and remember. Then, even then, so it the funny thing is, I I, I just finally third parties. I just like, right, right, right. I just finally re- uh, um, you know made a Steam uh, app ID thing for Spy Party recently, uh-huh. and I had a database problem, and uh-huh. so I emailed Tom Bowie, who's the guy who worked with us on Spore and who mm-hmm. now yep, runs yep. Does a bunch of Steam stuff. And I was like, Tom, I can't get through this phase of the thing. He's like, Oh, let me go check. Oh, that's because. You actually were created as a Steam partner with partner ID 431. Like, I was back like, in the Wonderful. 90s or whatever. Like, I was like, and I didn't tell him. I should have at the time. I was like, oh, man, we should have switched everything to that one so I could have, yeah. like, app ID 3 or whatever for Spy Party. But no, because it's like, you know, Counter-Strike is 1 or whatever. Yeah. You know, like, Half-Life is 1, and like, that would have been funny. But um, uh, I don't remember what I was going to do with that. Maybe it was Shareware. Maybe there was, like, just then starting to be a, like, oh, no, I do remember I was going to sell it in rock climbing gyms and there were a couple there were like there was like a kind of growing indie niche indie thing happening with like Spiderweb software yes. was around right mm. and I knew about him that dexterity guy do you remember dexterity.com yeah. he actually turned into like a self-help guru okay but he was a shareware guy who wrote this awesome article you can actually find it now it's been archived because it's such a good article called mm. shareware amateurs versus shareware professionals or okay. something like that where it's like Here's what a shareware amateur would do. You would, you know, here's the 12 steps that they would do. They would, yeah. like, come up with an idea for a product, mm-hmm. you know, make the product, you know, release the product. It didn't sell. Maybe try an update and then go on to the next product. Yeah. What a professional would do is, like, do some market research to figure out if this product is actually interesting and, like, you know, change the product based on what would sell and, like, what would not. You know, release the product. When it doesn't hit expectations, like, set concrete sales goals. Just a much more modern thing of, like, and then update the product multiple yeah. times until you hit the sales goals and then, you know, stick with it. It was just a good, like, oh, right. There's like a way to do this. And that was a kind of an eye-opening article for me, actually. And so I was like, okay, well, I can like, you know, I can take this around to rock climbing gyms. I can get this like in the, in the, um, uh, this is not a good plan, by the way. I just, <laughs> I'm just saying you asked what the plan was. Yeah, I'm yeah. just like, like, yeah. I'm like, this is kind of a niche of a niche. Yeah, yeah. Like, so there were rock climbing magazines. There were hundreds of thousands sure, of rock climbers. Sure. I was like, okay, I can do what Spiderweb software does, but uh, for, you know, this kind of thing. They were, you know, I mean, you go into the back of a like submarine aficionado magazine and there's like a sub simulator yeah. in there, right? Yeah, and it's like true. those people were making money. Like that's they had not a lot, a lot of money, but they were just like, you know, there were, so that was kind of interesting and like, um, you know, Jeff Vogel was talking about how he just bought a house. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a spiderweb guy. Yeah. And, like, it's just, uh, I don't know, I didn't put two and two together. That's, like, games that he's making for game play, Very buying specific, people as opposed yeah. to, like, people, RPGs for people as, who a people, as opposed to people who, games yeah, who are unserviced because the modern yeah. industry is not doing that. Exactly. As opposed to me who's making games for people who like to go outside and, like, exercise. Like, it didn't make any sense. But <laughs> I was, like, <laughs> Tony Hawk had sold a lot of copies. Do you know, I mean, I played a rock climbing game on my friend's Apple IIGS Probably around 1989. Mm-hmm. There were a few. I used to collect them. Yeah. There was a in, Nintendo shipped one on the. Was it the Wii? No. Was it the? It may have been the GameCube. They shipped a tiny little thing. Microsoft actually shipped one a long, mm. long, 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 long time yeah. ago. The Nintendo one. You got to the top of the mountain and you played an electric guitar. <laughs> it made like no sense. Up. Whatever. So that's our... Anyway, but the, but the the main failing there was not. I mean, there's, there's like, why are you doing a rock climbing game? Because right. it's funny how that rock climbing is just a niche thing, but it's like pretty big. You may, there might have been a living to be made there, not yeah. great, but like you know, a, a niche kind of hardcore. I was gonna make it really authentic, but so I had this huge fatigue model of like how you're getting tired in your body, sh- you know, body knowledge system of like you know you've got to keep your arms straight so you're not getting tired on those muscles and stuff like that. 
excuse me, using like the stuff from rock climbing. Mm-hmm. But the reality of the, and all that might've been fine, but the reality is I know now is that I was afraid of game design. And mm-hmm. I think that's what happened at D6 too, the early game. It's like, it's scary. I mean, it's probably second nature to you because you've been doing it for so long, but it's just really scary to actually work on the game part of the game. It's so comforting to work on the tech part of the game. Yeah. And I think that's actually... Yeah, I'm not, I'm hardly, I have hardly even understanding necessarily what that means. Yeah, well, I mean, like, so like starting, let, like, me explain, let me explain it by uh, an example that happened a lot in the 90s, um, in the early 2000s, that will resonate, I th- assume, is, like, everybody had a train engine back then, remember? Mm-hmm. Everybody was working on a game that had a train engine, but they never got past the train engine. Yeah. Because working on a train engine is it's safe. It's kind of fun, yeah. Yeah, it's fun, but it's also just safe. Like, for me, it's just, like... Working on the tech for the rock climbing simulator, I, that thing had so much tech, and it was solving nonlinear complementarity problem. It was crazy. Our linear complementarity—it's it, insane. For you know, like very little payoff. Um, but I was just afraid to actually make the game. And you could move the dude around, and it was kind of interesting already. But what I should have done is gone like, "Oh, that's kind of interesting. Let me actually make something that does something yeah. with it, right. as opposed to like, let me, let me give me, let me give some goals. Let me yeah. see if like, I can get half an hour of gameplay. Here. Right, exactly. And I didn't do any of that because I didn't know that I was afraid to do that. Like, mm-hmm. it's just really scary to do game design if you don't know what you're doing. Um, and you probably came at it more from the game designs first, not the tech first. I don't well, know. I mean, I started on Civ three, right? Right. So it was. You know, that was a very clear path. Right. Well, we got Civ 2. What do we Mm -hmm. want to change? (laughs) What do we want to take out? What do we want to add? But were you a programmer before, or how did you get a job on Civ 3? Well, okay. So I did do a couple of internships at EA, uh, where I worked on Knockout Kings. Okay. As a programmer? As a programmer, Okay. So I, like, I wrote some of the AI for Knockout Kings, which was a nice, like, very specific task. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, And so that gave me, basically, the credibility, I guess, to be hired by Firaxis. Right. And... Yeah, working on Civ, it was like the perfect thing for me. Right. So, like, I mean, I, 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 I may have struggled more to like figure out the you know how to become a game designer if I'd worked on a different type of game. Yeah, see, so, you know, all the games I had worked on up to that point. I mean, some people, it probably comes more naturally to some people. You get people like Incapare, like you know, like to, to squeeze out these games constantly, all of which are kind of interesting and weird, and like they're not mm-hmm. clearly not afraid of game design like the way I was. Right. But like for me, it was like I worked on this crazy Carl Sims virtual creatures thing that no one knew what the game was there. You know, I worked on this rock climbing game that no one knew what the game was. I worked on Spore where no one knew what the game yeah. was, and it's by party now. But I finally fixed the problem mm-hmm. and just dove right into the gameplay. Yeah. Spore was a very sobering thing, like what went wrong there yeah. and why I do spy party the way I do yeah. now. All so. right. Well, let's, let's jump into it. Are we doing it? So yeah. All so right. You, met, you, you called up Will. So I called up Will and I said, uh, I need a job. And he's like, okay, cool. Why don't you come in and interview on this crazy thing I'm doing? And I came in and they needed uh, a bunch of tech. So I was like the tech guy at the time. Mm-hmm. Like I was not a game design guy at all. So it's funny, actually, I don't know if you have this, you probably do, but, like, you're always that guy, which is the, like, what have you done for me lately? Kind of, like, what's your last thing? So I was um, the whingy guy. Mm -hmm. I've always been been good about swapping out who the guy I was before it was too late. Yeah. Okay? So I was the whingy guy. But now the whingy guy would have been steamrolled by DirectX if I had tried to stay the whingy guy, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't do this, like, like, consciously. I just kind of followed what I was interested in. But then I became the texture mapping guy because I wrote these articles in Game Developer. I wrote a five-part series that you can get online of how to do perspective-correct software texture mapping before anybody knew how to do it. Like, a couple people in a couple places had done it, but no one had published the math. And the math back... Games were not about math back then. It was like... Because it was just the beginning of 3D. Mm-hmm. So I published this huge thing that like basically everybody in the industry read. Mm-hmm. So I just became the texture mapping guy. Now it's like, oh my god, like this is awesome. This explains it. I've got sample code. Like it's assembly optimized. It's like boom, you know. 
uh, Quake used parts of my texture mapper, like, you know, like I'm in the special thanks for that. Mike used it for the, you know, whatever. It's just like, it was just, there was nothing there before. Yeah. And so like, just by explaining it, um, and that's part of what I think is magic about the internet now. It's just so much information out there for yeah. learning. Um, but GD, it was just GD mag back then. Mm-hmm. Right. So then I became the physics guy because mm-hmm. after the texture mapping articles, I started getting into the rigid body dynamic stuff for mm-hmm. this D6 game. And I had to teach myself that stuff. And the way I kind of make sure I know the thing is by writing it down and doing lectures about it. So I did that another five part series in between there. I did like, you know, articles. I was a, I was a technical columnist at the time. So I was like, I did some articles about, uh, you know, optimizing compilers and, you know, miscellaneous stuff. But then I started a big series on rigid body dynamics, explaining all the math behind 3d rigid body dynamics, which no one knew anything about because it's pre havoc and everything. Right. Um, and so then I became, so I went from the whingy guy to the texture mapping guy to the physics guy, mm. and I was the physics guy for a long time, uh, and I was still, still the physics guy, but then I became the like, indie game jam guy, because then we did the indie game jam for a while. We had this, when I was working on the rock climbing game, I shared an office with John Blow, uh, pre-braid, way pre-braid, uh, a guy named Charles Martin, who eventually went to Google, um, uh, uh, Sean Barrett, mm-hmm. who uh, is now at Rad, yeah. who used to work at Looking Glass. Um, and uh, a couple other people occasionally. I mean, that's where we did. It was a barn in mm-hmm. Oakland. There's literally a barn in the middle of Oakland in this, in this weird place. And we called it the Indie Game Barn. Yep. And so I guess indie was a thing back then a little bit because we had the Indie Game Jam and the Indie Game Barn. So it, mm-hmm. pe- there was a, some kind of indie thing happening there. I don't remember exactly what the economic landscape right. was. But it was, it was really business. It was, it was post-shareware, but it was starting mindset. to kind of come. I mean, Jeff Vogel was an indie game developer yeah. then. So it was just kind of starting to come together, like back of the magazine, kind of like internet well, sales. It, it, you could say indie because now it felt like... The stuff that was commercial right. was like big enough that there was a barrier. Yeah, well, and I think PayPal was around at that point. Sure. Like you could, you could get uh, what was the thing that you know there were these services where they you could enter a credit card on the internet. Yeah. Now nobody wanted to use that shit, but like you could right. do it, yeah. right? Um, I believe this is probably around the time when EA first tried to do their online commerce thing. So EA tried like twelve times yeah, to make yeah, a Steam yeah. and failed every time. So like, yeah. um, but anyway, so. Uh, um, so I became the texture mapping guy, and then the physics guy, and then the indie game jam guy, and then I started on Spore, and then I became the, the Spore guy, and now I'm the Spy Party guy. So I'm happy with my guy mm-hmm. transfer, you know, like my guy evolution, because uh, you never want to be the same guy for too long, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, uh, so anyway, um, uh, but so but at the time I was like the texture mapping physics, you know, smart technical guy so i went there and interviewed at maxis in walnut creek and they needed they didn't know how they were gonna do the creatures yeah they they had an idea of how they were gonna do the plug together stuff but like the skin they had no idea and since i had actually what did they think the game was at that point oh they had no idea this was 2003 yeah this is very early okay um now we could make a joke it's not that early because the game shipped in 2008 yeah so it's five years before the game shipped it had been been going on well, yeah, there were people who had been on it for a year, but I don't think anybody besides Will was working on it. To there was no, there were not a lot of full time people. It okay. was like three or four people, kind so, of like messing around. Yeah. Um, what did you understand the game was? Like, I didn't know, but I didn't know that what game design was then. I go, yeah. like, you, so you, you walked projects, in like, and you were like, "Holy shit, this is a fucking <laughs> disaster!" And I didn't know any better. I was just like, "There's a lot of cool title problems here. This would be awesome, right?" I was a consultant too, so I contracted for like a couple years. Uh-huh, okay. So I did this, the creature skin using implicit surfaces, which right. was fun. So you didn't necessarily feel like you were signing on to some huge thing. No, so you didn't, you I didn't know. Yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah. But I wouldn't this... have known. I, I'm pretty sure if I'd gone full time. 
as a programmer on the project, I still also would not have. I mean, it's Will Wright. You just assume. It's a pinnacle of yeah. Will Wright's, like, you know, I mean, you just trust the guru yeah. right, guy. Yeah. But, like, I didn't know, to, you would have known to ask the right questions. I had no idea. Hmm. I mean, I wasn't a game designer. I mean, I had opinions about, like, games, but, right. like, I was not, yeah. a, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, um, so I mean, that's, 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 that's what I mean. I'm kind of proudest about one of the things I'm proudest about on Spy Party is that, like, now I'm the Spy Party guy. Like, yep. it's because of the game design. Yes. Like, no one gives a shit about Spy. I mean, it's crazy that I'm doing a 3D multiplayer articulated figure game by myself. So, everyone, but I, everyone knows I can program. Yeah. It's more like, hey, man, this is a great game. So, that's mm-hmm. cool. Like, I'd like, I, I don't I have a hierarchy between game designers and programmers. I want to be a hybrid designer programmer. And, like, I managed to, like, at least in the what I'm doing now, figure out how to do, do that. that. Right, yeah. yeah. So that's, I'm pr- very proud of that. Um, but anyway, so I did the implicit surface skinning system for the creatures, how you make a continuous skin over this thing you snapped together. Okay. So that was totally badass. Um, and there's never been a game that used implicit surfaces that wasn't a total gimmicky kind of thing before. So I was just like, it just, it's just the kind of technology that doesn't ever work for games. So it was mm-hmm. so cool to be able to use it yep. as the perfect solution for this thing. And I've got a bunch of writing online about why that is. If anyone cares about, we don't need to go technical here, but, um, and then I did the pre- creature paint, which was this like rendered a texture, crazy, awesome thing that was like oh, really yep. early, mm-hmm. you know, of like all this procedural, you know, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, scales and all this stuff that crawls all over the body. And so that was totally badass. You know, the, the, the skin worked out well enough that they wanted me to do the paint and now they just had this endless series of big technical things and then right. finally it was like all right we don't know how we're going to do the animations yeah. really so i was about to say they weren't animated yet yeah so and so now it's like that was the big thing. thing and they were like we can we bring you on full-time because a it's getting really expensive as a contractor and b like this animation thing is a really big thing like you need, you need a team for this kind of thing you know yeah. um and so i went full-time uh uh and um i think i went full-time at Emeryville. Like, I think it was in Emeryville when I went full-time. I think I just did the contracting. You know, they moved the office. Was it somewhere else before then? It was in Walnut Creek. Oh, it, was it a, started before oh, yeah. they got moved from Yeah, yeah. Creek. Max oh, was in okay. Walnut Creek forever. Yeah, yeah. And then, because Will lived in Orinda. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is on the other side. I just forgot when it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was forever. So, um, All right. And in that EA way, like they had just signed another twenty year lease on that building, but then it was cheaper to keep paying the lease on that building and move everybody out of there than I just uh, I just don't understand companies. Uh, like yeah. it makes no sense. Um I remember during the move, I like loaded my car with plants because I knew all the corporate plants were just going to die uh, yeah. in that thing. Oh, so nice. I stuffed as many. You, you, Is that why there's so many plants in, the in my office? office? Yeah, in the Emeryville office, in like general. my corner was a jungle. Yeah, and other people started doing the same thing because yeah. it was like, "Fuck, they're all just going to die if we don't yeah, take." Yeah, that was plants like one of my first impressions coming from my interview. It was great. I was like, "Whoa, it's like a jungle, jungle in here." In here. Yeah, it was yeah. just awesome, and it was on theme too, yeah, right? Yeah. So yeah, um, you know, but I had this just encrusted. Play. It was awesome. Um, yeah, I love that office. That I mean. Yeah. That was a perfect example of like EA at that time was like, remember the hexagonal cubes or they busted them all down by that point? No, I didn't see those. They were all hexagonal cubes mm-hmm. because that's more creative. It's just like you know, one of those things you're just like, what? <laughs> this makes no sense. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but I mean, when you're, I mean, and, yeah, it was super cool. Yeah. Uh, um, but so then I started doing the animation system and then I started doing some game design and this is where mm-hmm. I was kind of like starting to feel out how game design worked mm-hmm. for real as opposed yep. to my previous attempts. Um, and, uh, kind of failed in the sense of like, you know, I just, there was too much to do on the animation system or whatever, but I had a lot of opinions and like, you know, a lot of us, I mean, with what the project probably didn't need was more people with opinions about game design. <laughs> However, like, um, 
Uh, you get Chris Hecker, you get opinions. Yeah, I mean, it was just like, I was kind of feeling my way of like, oh, I actually think I could fix this. I mean, whether I could have or not, who knows? But like, I have an opinion about how this should be and it's not coming out that way. And like, you know, okay, well, maybe change this so it's a little more interesting in this way or whatever. I was just developing that sense of like how a player would interact with it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had probably read a ton of stuff. By that point, everyone was writing about game design, right? Like, there was no... In the 90s, like, no one told you how to be a game designer. Yeah. By, by 2000-something, like, there were 18,000 yeah. books people about were, it. Never, yeah. People were blogging about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Like, so it's just like, kind of like learning programming nowadays. Yeah. There was just a lot more information out there about mm-hmm. it. Um, so, yeah, but as we have discussed previously on our blogs, and we can talk about as much as here, like, mm-hmm. Spore became... was it Spore was a incredible technical and user interface accomplishment and a d- design failure in my opinion like we the and this is where the um my kind of personal philosophy of like like the thing that kills me the most is potential unreached and spore was the quintessential potential unreached thing like in myself too like if i feel like i'm not reaching my potential in something or like you know like I'm, you know if i surf the web all day instead of working on my game or some some I'm just like ah it just kills me um and that's why I really hope Spy Party reaches its potential, and I hope the game industry and games as an art form reach their potential, and you can just see this kind of fractal thing all the way down. Um, and Spore just did, I mean, had the potential to be just this incredible thing that we just screwed up, basically. Like, it just didn't happen. Yeah, so where do we start with that? Um, so, you know, you were doing some technical stuff for a while. Uh, yeah, I mean, you were doing, you did some contract stuff on very specific tests. Yeah, like... Fix not not just fix this problem. Create this system to put skin on the creatures. Right. Create this system to paint them, and then you start working on the animation, which was a huge task, which you were working on basically for. Yeah, I mean that's what time. I did for yeah. the game at yeah. the end. And, 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 and but that's obviously once you're starting working on animation, that's close to AI, which yeah. is close to game design. So I now I'm like, right. we've got these guys working like this. Why don't we take advantage of it or whatever? Yeah. So this would be about 2005 ish. Yeah, point. I can't remember how long it took. I could go look at my invoices. Sure. <laughs> but like, but, yeah. but for reference, this is like about, probably about three years before the game shift at this point. Yeah, probably. Okay, so what was the... What, what was there the was no game. Supposed there to was be not even point? a single execution. Was ex- there, a, there was no What game. was the message? There was a high concept. Well, two high concepts. Yeah. And you and I disagree about which one... Like, so just, to, just for the viewers, listeners, like, Spore was two things... At the GDC talk level, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It was or the high the elevator pitch, I guess you'd call it level. It yeah. was uh, player creativity. Mm-hmm. That means editors of a whole bunch of all the objects in the game should be able to be created by the player, mm-hmm. from like the smallest creatures and plants to planets, right? Yeah. Like everything is editable. Two, it was powers of ten. Mm-hmm. So Charles and Ray Eames, who were these designers in the 50s and 60s, created this awesome PBS video that you can go on YouTube to watch called Powers of Ten by Eames, E-A-M-E-S. And it zooms, it starts in Chicago right outside uh, the, the um, you know, on the, co- on the coast of the lake there. And there's a couple having a picnic and it zooms out all the way past all the galaxies. So the edge of the universe. And it goes every... S- 10 seconds it goes out by a power of 10 and it shows the square shrink mm-hmm. and then shrink again and so by going a power of 10 every 10 seconds or however many seconds it like starts moving really freaking fast by the end it's totally weird I remember going the other way but... and then it goes all <laughs> the way no, back I in I remember it starting the other nope. way yeah it goes all the way I just showed my daughter actually yeah, the other yeah, day because okay. it's such a canonical thing yeah. and then it goes all zooms the way, yeah. all the way back into the dude's hand and mm-hmm. goes down to quarks and beyond yep. that they don't know what happens yeah. so um uh, and so yeah, it's just a fascinating it's a, thing. It's a cool video. Yeah, yeah. It's so, I mean, it's a mind-bending video. It's really cool and just like our place in the world or not. And then so it, 
Um, but what happened was no, that... Let me, yeah, yeah. One second. The, so, to me, the editors make sense, in some sense, as an extension of stuff that you'd seen in the game industry, but especially in The Sims. People made yeah, a lot yeah. of stuff I mean, the house editor, the Sims, Yeah, yeah, right? totally. Like, you know, both explicitly, like, what The Sims was about, and then also, like, people modding it yeah. externally, uh, totally. right? Yep. So that that totally made sense. And then also the whole sharing aspect. Yeah, right? yeah, because yeah. He saw That people... came a little bit later, but yeah, I think that, like, basically this idea that... But you... that was in the GGC video, wasn't it? Yeah, like, yeah but that, like that, was, that was close to ship. I mean... Close to ship. I can't believe I said that. Like <laughs> shipping the video. That was like 2006 or something, yeah. right? Like I mean, like the game. But yeah, but I mean, and the, the sharing sh- was still like an extension of like, okay, people were making stuff in the Sims, and what can we do to help them right. share the stuff? And Counter Strike mods were a thing, yeah. and like there was a ton of modding right. and stuff. Yeah, but the Powers is Ten stuff. Like, where did that come from? I mean, that was like, Will's Sim thing. Like, it was Sim everything. Well, so to me, that's like... The game was literally called Sim everything for a little while. Yeah, so to me, that's like design megalomania, basically. Oh, totally. I mean, I, so there's a funny thing, like, let's see if this is, agrees with your experience talking to, like, newbie designers and people who are just like, I got a game idea. Right. Like, there's a couple different game ideas that every person has as a yep. newbie as the first one. One of which has nothing to do with this conversation, which is the, like, all right, you're a ghost in a mansion and there was a murderer <laughs> of you and you have to solve your murder. How many times have you heard that design? Uh, I'll take your word for it. Yeah, but... <laughs> that's a lot of fucking times I've heard that design. The second one is, all right, there's a war and you can be everything from the dude on the ground with a gun first-person shooter style out to the dude playing Civ yeah, yeah, as the general, yeah. right? And everyone's like, that's going to be so cool. And so it was that. Yeah. But it was microns to or you know like molecules up to f- the universe so yeah, yeah. no it's the good. i mean if anybody's gonna pull that off it's gonna be will Wright, right yeah it's it's the inevitable terrible idea like, yeah that's, that's the way i always think of these things yeah it's, it's the same thing like in civ the inevitable terrible idea is like every time there's a combat exactly like every time yeah. you fight the warrior fights the spearman <laughs> yeah let's zoom in and yeah. it's like let's do the battle let's yeah, make yeah. it happen and it's just like that'll always come up and like it's still yeah. well and I, I think it gets to that thing we mentioned briefly earlier which i'll explain what it is is like frank lance has this awesome rant which is actually on my youtube channel because it was just nowhere online which is called the immersive fallacy which is this idea that we're going towards the holodeck mm-hmm. and that you can do want to be there always and he's actually like no that gap the simulation gap the gap between you and your experience and what's represented is hugely important. Like the, he's, he, as he said, like the word bear would not be better if it could maul you. Right. It's <laughs> functions as a word. Right. That's important. Right. Like it, that's symbi- that gap. And so like a, a combat in Civ is not about dudes in trenches, like knifing each other with bayonets. Yeah. It's the symbolic thing. And that gap is hugely important to how yeah. the game works. Right. I think Will saw this as like his last game. And like, I don't think so because I don't like, think you wanted. I mean, I, that maybe that's, that's like getting into trying, I'm trying well, to, but get it was called him everything. Head. I mean, so what Will used to do, which is really awesome. And Brendan Chung does this too, for his games mm-hmm. is he made a box. Yeah. And the box that he made was called Sim everything. Mm-hmm. And it had, you know, had funny lines on it and like, you know, the ship date of like, I don't even remember what the ship date was, but it had a joke and like, you yeah. know, how many bits of like information were contained in the galaxy and all these, you know, it was a cute, cool, get the team behind it. Yeah. I mean, it was really actually, I, I don't even know. If he, I don't think he made it. There was no team. I think he just made it, made it yeah. as his like, all right, here's what I'm making, yeah. you know, but uh I mean, he had done. What had he done? He had done Sim yeah, City. He, played, he had done the Sims. Sims he, he had done, done Sim, Sim Ant, Ant, right? Sim Earth. Yeah. Sim ho- uh, it was Hospital Him. Or Sim Max, Life. Max, Sim Life. I mean, like... Yeah, he'd done many different levels. So, yeah, okay, yeah. You're right. At that that does make sense. I mean, the, I mean, here's the thing. Like, he had done games at those different levels. Yeah. He had never done a game that spanned multiple levels. No, of course. It's just, like, this yeah. inevitable, like, but, I guess maybe I'm going towards this. Yeah. Let's do this. Yeah, but, I mean, and, but the editor's thing, I mean, I know they seem... 
separable, but like, and they are because you always set them as two different things. But like, it seemed like an interesting way of span. Like you're, you know, you help you're, populate you're that. Po- world. Like yeah. we need to fill in the space. Yeah, exactly. How are we going to do it? Exactly. You know, let's let's have the users do it for us. I mean, I from I know you think that the Powers of Ten part is fatally flawed right. from the beginning, but like. I still think there's a game there somewhere. All right. I don't yes. I'm a good enough design, designer to do it. I could have made the creature game. I think I'm a good enough designer to make that game. <laughs> I mean, maybe I could have made the tribe game or maybe, the, you know, whatever. But, like, I think there might have been... I always call it the Sistine Chapel of video games. Like, I think that if we had managed to reach the potential of Spore, there was a potential there to reach, I guess. But what does that mean? I don't know. Game at all I don't know, levels. man. What does it mean? Like, you, you know, you're sitting there in the meeting and they're, like, pitching. Okay, there's a plumber and he's walking around and he jumps on a pipe. And you're like, What? It means the plumber jumps on a pipe. It doesn't mean that, like, <laughs> later on, the, the plumber is going to be ruling, a, a, you know, an intergalactic, like, space empire, right? Like, I know. I don't know. I mean, it's like, it doesn't, you can't answer the what's the verb question for that game. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's just, like, making games is hard enough as this. It, oh, it's it, totally, it's, yeah. And it's it sucked me in. Yeah. Right? Like, no, you know, totally. Like, Whoa, yeah. Game about everything. Whoa, <laughs> man. Whoa. You know? <laughs> I, and we had the tech to back it up. Yeah, and there was, yeah, there was a lot there. It's not like you guys were just like no. out there, like yeah, there was not. It was know, not. The, there was not a design document. There right. was just like I mean, there was so much tech. I mean, the creature editor was magic for five years before we shipped, right? Like yeah. you know, the planet editor was freaking awesome, you know. Uh, yeah, the, man. I mean, maybe it's just that, like, super band. Like, we got, like, you know, Robert Plant and everybody together, and it's just a mess. Like, it's just oatmeal well, at the end. that's where it was sold. Like, it was, like, uh, the cell level was Pac-Man, right? Yeah. And the creature level was Diablo. Yep. And, like, this, I'm tribe. the Civ level is Civ. Yeah. The tribe level is uh, Populous, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, the like, space level is Elite yep. or whatever. Yep. And, like, um, so, like, there were analogies, so you kind of, like, shake your head a little. I'm like, oh, How could right, it not be the okay, best okay, possible right, game? Yeah. I like all these things, yeah. you know? They all fit together. Now, the sure. light part was maybe a little yeah, bit exactly. like, I yeah, mean, that's a little alarm. So now, alarm bells would go off right. for me. Then it was like, fuck, I'm on board. Because, like, A, as a programmer, coming in from the programmer side, like, there is never, there will never, I mean, who fucking knows? But, like, there will never be a project like Spore from a technical programming perspective mm-hmm. like even no man's sky is a joke compared to spore because the editors aren't there right mm-hmm. like it's just like the amount of i don't mean a joke as a game i'm hoping yeah. it's a better game than we made but i mean from a i'm a hardcore and it is tech- actually one problem right exactly they're not tra- yeah yeah scale. so uh, what i mean by that like, is like no man's sky was inside of spore yeah exactly one of the games. oh yeah we like yeah, yeah no, man's- <laughs> <laughs> no man's sky was like unlockable in spore no but i mean hopefully they will fix the problem yeah, that's why i'm terrified for them job, I, hopefully well, i mean yeah. that would be great um uh so i don't mean uh to say it's bad about them. Great, saying, they're saving, solving yes, one problem. Well, I hope so. I, I'm scared shitless for them because yeah, they don't know what yeah. they're getting into. Well, they do now. Um, but like, but but what I meant that is a tech programmer. I'm a hardcore yeah. problem solver. I make computers do things no one ever seen before, kind mm-hmm. of thing. Nothing compares yeah, to like a Manhattan Project. Oh yes, like, exactly. I was fucking Feynman, and I had the secret, and I could do whatever I want, and it was fucking magic. It was yeah. the best. Um, I mean, I got a cigarette paper out of it. Like it was a lifelong goal to have a peer-reviewed scientific paper. Right. Right. Um, I used to go to SIGGRAPH. Every programmer who was a graphics programmer for the longest time, not less now, but like fetishized SIGGRAPH or whatever. I got a peer-reviewed SIGGRAPH paper published out of this game. Right. And now I'm done with SIGGRAPH. I checked that life bucket list item off, and I have nothing to do with that anymore. I don't, you know, I'm not that interested in graphics for graphics sake anymore. But like, yeah. I mean, I got 
what five GDC talks out of this prod thing. Like I've got incredible like math knowledge. I got you know I made all friends. You and yeah. I just like it was just fucking amazing. Yep. I mean it really was it really was the dream team thing. Yeah. Oh, was, the team was so fun to be with. Yeah. I mean, like, it was very inspiring. Yeah. I mean, I, let me. Well, I will say this. So four powers of ten. The way to make that work okay. is you would need the core mechanic to be the same at all. Yeah. Totally. Which is levels. why when you watch that video, the squares is the. The, the right. icon that's happening to ground you through all this crazy stuff is the square starts from the screen mm-hmm. and then goes in at the exact same rate all the time. Right. So the way to think of it is you could compare Civilization and Advance Wars, mm-hmm. right? The, yeah, yeah. the two games at different scales right. that still have basically right. the same dynamic. Totally. Like, there are ways to do that. Well, I don't think it's a great idea, no, and I wouldn't recommend it. Right. But like, you can imagine a game. That's the way. Well, so that points more towards the Gonzago prototype, right? Where mm-hmm. it was all one thing. So we had a prototype that was a game prototype that 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 uh, kind of didn't really deliver on what it like we prototyped three things and I mentioned them already but I didn't say it frame it in this way we prototyped three things I like to say we prototyped tech UI and gameplay mm-hmm. we were famous inside GDC we gave talks you know I gave a talk at GDC called yeah. advanced prototyping with Haim uh, yeah talk. it's a, I mean it was one of the highest rated talks yep. that year like it's a great talk um, about our prototyping thing we mm-hmm. gave talks all over GDC I mean all over inside EA about how mm-hmm. we were the prototyping people like we you know and that was the time when prototyping was where it was at. Like, everyone thinks prototyping is awesome. But we hit it out of the park on the tech and UI prototyping and completely failed on the gameplay prototyping. Like, I mean, the the, the metric for whether you succeeded on the gameplay prototyping is whether you got a good game out of it, and we didn't, right? And so um, we clearly got good tech and good UI um, because the creature editor is magic to use. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, Spore has more magic in it than most games. Like, per hour of play, you're like, this, what the hell was that cool thing? You give it to a 10-year-old. Oh, yeah. And, like, they're going to have a blast. I mean, even adults. Genuinely. Even adults. Like, I constantly meet people where when they ask what I do, you know, I'll tell them I work on a game about a cocktail party, and they're like, oh, cool, you know, blah, blah, blah. And oh, what have you done before? Oh, I worked on a game called Spore. Oh, I love Spore. Mm. I'm like, oh, it was really disappointing to me. Like, really? Why? It was such a great game, <laughs> yeah. you know? And so, like, it's yeah. a, a lot of people love Spore. Um, but uh, the kind of game that I... I mean, you and I are similar in the hardcoreness of the games we want to make mm. in some sense. Like, the, like, e-sporty kind of, like, you know, that... that, that, that like you said, if it doesn't, if you could, it's spoilerable. You know, it's just like I mean, well, Spore wasn't spoilerable. It's a Sim, so I don't know. I mean, it's a, it just didn't. We didn't. They make weren't it. interesting decisions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You I mean, were, to you use were the messing around. I mean, the Civ level was the worst in that sense of like you had the like building in the vehicle editor, and like, right, they like, didn't make any nothing. difference. Yeah, I mean, it made very little difference in the creature editor, and it's zero difference in the Civ level. Yeah, that's a shame. But uh, um, I mean, part of that was I mean, that's a perfect example of like we had all these awesome editors, but yep. we didn't know what to do with them. Yeah. Right, um, creature was obvious, but like, uh, but si- we, yeah, we ended up shoving the vehicle and the city editor, building editor, into yeah. your level and just like yeah. whatever. So here's so here's the big so here's one of the other big issues, right? Yeah. So obviously you have the awesome editors, but the editors did not have consequence in right. The so game. editor, so my so, theory is editor consequence was the failure. Yeah. So what was that? What happened there? Right. So you could have had the creatures where you're like, okay, the creatures got these real long legs, so now right. they're going to. So like, now we get to spy party, right? Indirectly. Okay. V- by way of Rob Pardo. Mm-hmm. So, in 2006, mm-hmm. Rob gave a talk at um, uh, Austin GDC mm-hmm. that I didn't see, but went up. Uh, a summary of it went up on Gamma yeah. Sutra. And, uh, and um, this is pre him being on the advisory board. Mm-hmm. So he's on the, he was on the advisory board. I mean, he still is, but he, uh, um, he's partying at Biza right now instead of coming to the meeting. But ignoring that... <laughs> Like he's still on the advisory. He'll be. We'll see him. He's having more fun than we are today. Yes, exactly. We're in a small room that's getting <laughs> a little moist and warm. I have to say, um, but anyway. So, uh, um, so uh, the so he gave a talk 
and it was right in the like to the extent that you can be working on a dream project and working on the most interesting problems of your entire career and like completely incredibly deeply personally and techn- you know intellectually satisfying problems it was the darkest days in 2006 where it's like you just knew it was not happening mm-hmm. you know there's infighting on the team and like you know fighting prototypes and like producers squabbling and ea you know i mean ea to its credit like gave us more yeah. we hung ourselves 15 times with the amount of rope they gave us so, like yeah. it's not i don't blame ea for anything yeah. Yeah, in they, this were, they were awesome I yeah totally yeah yeah agree. i mean we spent like gta levels of money back then like it was just crazy um but uh um he gave this talk where he was talking about the blizzard design philosophy this is right when they started this must have been right before he joined the board because they just they had never shared anything before and he had they had just started doing talks for mostly for recruiting but also to share information and stuff like that um and they've just given some awesome talks so so happy that's worked out with them yeah for sure but um uh he gave a talk that talked about their kind of design philosophies and like mantras and what do they call them? They're like key, the things that their belief system at Blizzard, like, sure. you know, their core values, basically. Pillars or yeah. Pillars, say, core values, yeah. whatever. Yeah. And, uh, one of them was, uh, um, uh, depth first accessibility later. Yep. As a, I mean, they don't actually say it exactly like that, but it was, I, I basically shortened it to that as a punchy way of saying it. But like, Basically, what they do is they are going to make a game, and they make the hardest core possible addic- addictive. I don't mean addictive in the bad way, but I mean the Counter Strike way. You know, like a core loop game. You make the 300, 500 hour game mm-hmm. first. Yeah. You make the game that once you know and have read the manual and looked at the source code, and so you know which buttons do whatever, and like whatever, you can just lose yourself in right. esporty wise or whatever competitive, you yeah. know, or uh, um, or sim like you know, or loot loop and whatever, you know, that core loop. Yeah. Then when you've got that, you make it accessible because it's way easier to make something accessible than it is to make it deep. Yeah. Okay. So I saw this. This was like a bolt of lightning to me in the middle yeah. of sport. This, this is six. This is how we made Civ Four. Right. I mean, Civ Four was billboard units popping around the world map. I right. Mean, we even like made it work in multiplayer, so we could yeah. actually play it. And without yeah. before we worried about the UI right. or any of that. Totally. Stuff. Like that's totally. All I about. So I was just like, Hallelujah! This is what we're doing wrong because we were. Uh, I mean, what ended up happening was accessibility first, depth never mm-hmm. on Spore, mm-hmm. right? And if you don't have a deep game, no one will I mean, care. Like, there's mm-hmm. no, it won't spread. It won't. No one will talk about it after it ships. It won't do anything. Now, the editors were deep, actually. Mm-hmm. The like creativity de- de- depth was deep. Creativity uh, um, parts of the tool were deep, yeah. um, and to the point where you could prove this by when we released the creature editor as the teaser a year before we shipped, like yeah. something awful. The hardest core we didn't think anyone would care. From those, we thought all the Sims people would download it and like whatever, and the kids and and everything. We weren't making a kids game, if you recall, but like you know, we figured it would be popular with everybody. But like the coolest stuff came out of something awful forums because those are the hardest core people who are going to like completely max out everything you can do. So they made, I mean, you remember those, we just send the creatures around inside. Yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome. That is a deep game. I wasn't actually surprised. And maybe that's because I had some distance. Yeah, maybe, maybe. We we just didn't, we expected it to be I mean, I, I casual. Yeah. I mean, I'd experienced what what like a modding community can do through the Civ games. Like I knew that they'll always go you know, if if you give them the tools yeah. to go beyond what you can do yourself, like they're going to amaze you. They'll turn it to eleven, yeah. and like they did, and it was just beautiful. Like, yeah. I mean, it was, uh, which just goes to show, I think, and like I think you think that, like, if we had just doubled down on that, yeah. man, Absolutely. there's really a cool game there. So anyway, Rob gives this talk, 
it's got this depth first accessibility never, or I mean, uh, uh, accessibility, depth, yeah, sorry. Depth <laughs> there first. are some games that have that yes, problem. That's my party currently is accessibility never. Hopefully it will be accessibility <laughs> eventually. So depth first accessibility later thing, I was like, this is exactly what we're fucking doing wrong. I sent it around to the team. I put it in my notebook. I, you know, printed it out and like right, slept, with it, it slept with it under my pillow. Yeah, like yeah. it was the full nine yards. Um, and it's, I mean, we just, we, so what was happening there is we, all we did was uh, early stage user testing, which is yeah. what uh, in some companies, Max or EA being one of them called Kleenex testing, uh, not as an insult, but it just means you, once a tester has done a first pass test, meaning if you're, if you're going to test your first five minutes, which is yeah. a huge thing to test, you have to throw that person away because they're yeah. dirty now. Like they can't ever see that again with fresh eyes. So you have to observe them. And so it's called Kleenex because you use it once and throw yeah. it away. So we were Kleenex testing the hell out of the game. And that's part of the reason the editors are awesome. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, you know, you, we really user tested the editors and the other part of that is, but there's another part of that testing, which is the depth testing. Yeah. The editors were getting it because the artists were using them to build the creatures. Yeah. Right. So you remember we had these 3d printers around the office that back then 3d printers used starch and cyanacrylate super glue and cost 200 grand and took fucking four hours to print out a like two by two inch by two inch creature. Um, but like the artists' uh, desks were just covered in in creatures and vehicles and buildings and everything, right? And so uh, so they were getting the depth testing by like, can I make cool stuff? And if they couldn't, they came and bitched at us, and we fixed it until they could make cool stuff. So that was the depth testing, yeah. and the user's Kleenex testing was making sure it was easy to use. And so we had that for the editors, um, but we never did any depth testing for the game, yeah. and nobody played the game. Yeah. Like alarm bell number forty three. Yeah, yeah for Civ Four, we did very little Kleenex testing. We probably should have done more. Sure, you can all, you can never do too much Kleenex yeah, testing. Yeah. Like, well, it's, we could have a philosophical argument about whether Valve polishes too much, like they shave yeah, the sure. corners off, but that's very academic yeah. compared we had, to what we're talking. But we about. had a group of like our hardest core Civ fan, the fin, Civ hardest core people from the Civ community who played the game for like a year and a half before it shift, who were playing the game for hundreds of hours. Yeah, right. Yeah, and like that was. Huge. Oh, I mean, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's not even like a part of making it work. It's just that's what makes that's it work. That's what you do. And now, of course, that's just comp, that's just standard practice in, in video games. For certain kinds of games. For certain types of games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, and yeah, yeah, if it's not content based. But like, right. um, the, um, and I remember pushing for that within the sport team. Right. And but you probably couldn't get anybody to even play the game. Well, yeah, I mean, like, it. It just, I mean, well, that's what I wanted to expose, basically. Right. Like, okay, we need to find some people, like, hey, you know, please, you know, send in your names, and, like, we're going to pick, a hun- you know, 100 lucky people yeah, for, like, yeah, an yeah. early copy of Spore or whatever, and, like, you know, I, my hope was, like, that would expose that, like, look, these guys, they, they play it for a week, and then they stop playing it. Right. Or maybe not. I don't know. Whatever. Now, right, yeah. we'll find out yeah, yeah, what yeah. game we actually have, because right. right now, we don't know. Yeah. Um, well, I think you actually do know, so let's talk about that for a second, because... I think the fact that the team wasn't playing it is sure. a huge w- yeah. warning signal because I think that like well, I don't trust anything. No, no, without but, validation, right? But, like, but at I, the same I time, it for but sure. any art form, any doing anything creative, you have to what I call cultivate the naive eye. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to see things through the eyes of someone who's never seen it before. I mean, yeah. to a certain extent, you can't ever completely do it, but that's an important part of like you can't run everything through user test, right? Yeah, yeah, you yeah. got to do it yourself. But also like uh, the the um, that like. You know, if you're working on a shooter and you're not like having giant death matches after work every day, like you're in big fucking trouble. Now, it's not enough. Like Doug Church constantly talks about like teams that had 
thought their game was awesome because they deathmatched in the office every night, and it turns out, you know, it's not actually any, it's just worse than Counter-Strike, so who cares, you know, or right, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But because you love it, so it's not enough, but it's at least, nece- it's not sufficient, but it's certainly necessary. Yeah, um, yeah the, to and, me, the test there is like, are you doing, are you playing an experience that you couldn't get elsewhere? Right. Right, like, could they have just, instead, that same group of people, exactly, just Loaded downloaded Counter-Strike, Counter-Strike and yeah. basically had the same amount of Yeah, play. yeah, yeah, totally. Right. And so, like, it just didn't, I mean, people played it like you'd get mails from a producer and be like, "Oh, I played it. It was cool. Like, you know, this thing didn't work." Yep. But it was there was no like leaderboard mm-hmm. of like who could like, you know, take over the planet faster. There was no mm-hmm. anything. I don't mean in game. I just mean on the fucking whiteboard at the office. Like no one cared about playing the game. Yeah. I mean, it was also 6 years in. Yeah. Well, so let's I want to I want to dial into this one specific thing. Yeah. Like so there was the creature editor, yeah. which was really awesome and yeah. you could like um, you know, create all these crazy creatures that would like yep. animate in the right way and the um but there was no consequence to right. how you built the creature right how how did that come about how, how did that not because that was how did that, that, was that, was not, a, how did that, that not, not come about, about? I mean, yeah, right. something didn't happen because there was a, a debate harder. and eventually a decision was made of like okay the parts will have well, so these for example this is not elements, like the right? debate like like you know so let's let's, let's, let's table that for one second and like you know there was the cute versus science debate yes. that's a thing where like oh we had to pick an art direction and whatever but that had nothing to do with game design or anything like yeah, that yeah I, I think that's, that's a, kind of a oh it's a red herring it's a total red herring yeah. it's like and I got crucified by the internet but I'm so glad that all happened way before the internet's way better at crucifying people now <laughs> so I'm so glad I got all of my like the Wii was a piece of shit thing and <laughs> I ruined Spore uh, uh, all happened pre-Twitter and thank goodness for that, because I'm sure, I mean, they, they already defaced my Wikipedia page and, like, you know, emailed my wife at the time and threatened, you know, back then, so I don't even know what would happen now. But anyway, but so luckily, that's, that's enough of that. But, but so it, it wasn't a thing that, like, so the, the lack of editor consequence wasn't a thing that happened. It was a thing that didn't happen, and it's really easy for things to not happen, mm-hmm. right? So if it doesn't get on a schedule, if it doesn't get on a whatever, like, it's not going to, you know... Um, and so what happened was... I mean, we were... tried a couple things. So, like, the canonical example was... Uh, okay, the computer decided it's, to reboot again. It does that every hour. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I'm going to see if it's the, this, that. I felt fixes it. Um, the, uh, uh, um, the, I guess not. The canonical example is um, arm length. Yeah, that was yeah. the one we all used. And actually, this is there's a telling thing here, which is we didn't actually have that many other examples we used. It's not like we had. <laughs> it's not like we had fifty examples. Right. We had like how far your mouth was off the ground, how how long your legs were, so how fast you could run, things like that. But we didn't actually have like no one made. I mean, if you're a fucking game designer, mm-hmm. you make the list of fifty verbs and what they depend on, and you make a chart. And I'm not saying you do game design by chart. Like I don't like game design that's like, well, let's graph our weapons and see where we have a hole between like area of effect and whatever, and just put a weapon there. I don't think that's how good game design happens but you should at least be able to do that to know there's a hole there and know you know like so there there was not a lot of that i mean we had stuff like that but it was never i don't remember anyone coming up with a compelling list of ways editor consequence could have happened i think we actually could have Mm -hmm. i'm trying to think back to the game design we didn't have a lot of documents we had prototypes right Mm -hmm. but it's like taking arm length for example there was this whole thing about okay well if you're too short to reach the fruit on the tree, you can starve to death, right? Mm-hmm. Or maybe you should switch to a carnivorous creature and try and chase other creatures around instead of trying to be a, you know, whatever. So, you know, basically that whole kind of, like, not natural selection kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
where the the I mean the the, the joke it was always that we're actually making an intelligent yep. intelligent design game, right? Yep. Like you know you're God and you're gonna <laughs> choose like all right that mouth didn't work let's do another one and like yep. you know whatever. So um, but those never like they always seem too hardcore. So like let's say the arm was a centimeter too short. How's grandma, the accessibility thing again, yep. going to even reason about the fact that that's why it didn't reach? Now, I actually think that's totally messageable because, like, the dude is struggling to reach the fruit and doesn't reach, so you stretch yep. the arm in the editor, right? So I think that a lot of these were solvable. But um, but it just, there was, like, hard things. Like, how do you do costs then, right? This was a big one. Right, yes. So do you, if you, as you, we, we decided early on, based on testing, that charging as you stretch and unstretch bones was really non-intuitive. Like, you know, um, now I don't know if that's true what or mean not. By charging. So there was a resource in the editor. Oh, oh spending money. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Not, not like actual money, microtransactions, but like, <laughs> and not charging <laughs> up. Yeah. Mm. Uh, like they buy a wrist. Um, no, but so like, uh, yeah, I shudder to think what would happen now. I tried to make spore with all those, pa- that pa- those pallets of, of parts. Oh, oh yeah. God. Anyway, uh, let's not go there. But like, uh, like it was just, you know, to build something... So there's a there's a conflict between aesthetics mm-hmm. and functionality. Function, you know, like, like fitness, yeah. I guess, is a better way to put it. So we wanted this incredible aesthetic breadth. Yeah. And we were willing to give up fitness yep. tests for it. So, and, and there's there's the fitness tests of like, oh, I don't want to have to charge you to stretch this bone out. But if I don't do that, then how come I don't just make long-armed guys all the time? You know, those kinds of questions. Are, basically, what I'm trying to say is there's a lot of complicated game design in here. That's like hardcore complicated game design, right? Mm-hmm. Very discrete slash continuous, like, things. Very, like, you know, it's a continuous, you know, charge to, to stretch the bone. But it's a discrete test on that piece of fruit on that tree, whether it worked or not. And it's just a complicated... This is not an easy game design. Yeah. You know, things looking back, now thinking of actually... <laughs> it's funny that I've never actually gone through this exercise of like thinking about how to actually design this. Yeah, yeah. Like I would probably take a lesson from you, know, sort of like roguelikes in the sense of you're not always given all the options. Right. Right. Which is like you got a creature. Yeah. And then like okay, you got these three three different little things you can do. Your yeah, creature. yeah, yeah. That could be longer arms. Yep. It could be longer legs. Mm-hmm. It could be a bigger body or whatever. Right. And you make that choice. You're right. not just able to like do whatever you want. Right, which we actually did. We unlocked things. Like, yeah. until you killed a creature or mated with a creature or whatever that had a certain part or whatever, I can't remember exactly how it worked, yeah. you didn't have all the pallets available right. all the time. Yeah. So pieces, you found parts in the world, if I believe, if I remember the correct at the end, right, and right. earned things, and there was costs associated with the parts well, and stuff. Well, I guess I'm saying that, like, this as a solution to, like, being afraid of, like, if the if the editors have real consequence... Then the players are just gonna do these real crazy. Remember things. the reason. I mean, I know, I know you're not saying. Di- I know you're using roguelikes as an example, not as the metaphor or not as the direct thing. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about roguelikes for a second. This was pre the resurgence of roguelikes. Yes, yeah, sure. Like the idea of killing the player. Yeah, I'm not. Nev- no, no, I know. I know you're not being literal, but I'm, I'm actually just trying to place this game design in the game design terrain mm-hmm. nowadays. Everybody can kill the player, no problem, right? Yeah. But like the, the the back then, like you could not kill the player. Yeah. Like it was just not a, an acceptable thing. Um, so the uh, um, so yeah, so it was they, we were just constrained by, and that that relates to the accessibility thing, right? Like you can't make it too hard. You can't make it. You know, it's that that the 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 um, the the, uh, the the kind of zeitgeist at the time was like things have to be very smooth ramps. You can't have super uh, um, uh, harsh curves. You can't penalize them for doing stuff, you know, that kind of thing. So, 
Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm trying to think. Like, it seems like if the if the editor had consequence and like the way the comp- the way the creature actually animated affected your ability to like succeed at the game, and yeah. you had various physical challenges, and then the idea is, um, yeah, if you're limited in how you're able to morph the creature each time through, you're gonna have to come up with a different solution right. each time. Right. And of course, it's gonna be hard to guarantee that you're always gonna beat the challenges. So you're gonna need something that's a little more open, something that's right. more linear. But that, to me, that's like that's the direction to go. I mean, that's a game. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. But it's like it's that. That's a pretty hardcore. Yeah, I'm not trying to make excuses for it or anything like that. I'm just like that's just a level of like. Well, it needed to be something like that. I mean, I'm yeah, just trying. Somebody to like... needed to like go like this is the freaking design we're going to try, and maybe it'll work or maybe it won't. But what like we might end up with something. Yeah. Yeah, and so. Instead, we ended up with sort of these, like, you know, little booleans. Yeah, yeah. Right, that are attached to the creature. I mean, it was all discrete. Yeah. Which so just, it was just, you know, it was just points on yeah. li- on, on Which turned it into parts. a little numbers game. Yeah. Which can be fine. I mean, Diablo, in many ways, is a numbers game. It's just got, like, a lot more stuff to it. Right, right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's no... Yeah, I mean, you could you could conceptualize as a designer your parts as your inventory in Diablo, and then the like. But like, there's eight billion potions and yeah. decisions about it's, combat. It's the light. And, like, well, it's, there's like, two yeah. issues. It's it's the it's Diablo light, and second right. of all, it's not really interacting with what's cool about the other. Right. Right. Which is like, what happens if I you know make yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. back legs long? What happens if I make the front legs yeah, long? Yeah, yeah. And know? we always talked about like, oh, we should make the combat game where actually how far you can strike and stuff like that really does matter to mm. the combat or whatever. Yeah, the fighting games and ultra is another yeah. interesting. Yeah, option. exactly. Um, but they didn't was... want to go too. They wanted to make sure there were always social solutions, which I actually agree with that one. Like, I did not want to make a fighting game. Like, I think I don't have any problem with combat. Um, but I always I, had an issue with the social thing because, like, I just, well, just like, no one oh, had a game design. I understand there. you want it to be social, but what does that even mean? Right, exactly. Like, how in the world does that interact with right. like the 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 creature's skeleton and animation. Totally. Like, that no, just I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, so maybe that should have been, maybe social should have been something that developed at tribe level or something like that. And like, you know, so it was yeah. just, I think it was just something that was inherited by being part of Max. Max, exactly. And, like, and I actually, so, I mean, as a, as a supporter of like game design diversity for non, I mean, you're making it, I mean, both of us, like there's no violence in spy party. The, the violence in spy party is a Hitchcockian violence. Like there's mm-hmm. a threat of this shot, but yeah. as soon as the shot happens, the game's over, right? Sure. It's kind of like the body in a Hitchcock movie where you're like, Oh, you know, it's just this, in, you know, intense thing. Your game has no violence whatsoever. I mean, occasionally you blow up something yeah. with a, with a whatever, yeah. but, but it's mostly right. um, it's not, not that. That. And so both of us are actually making games that aren't, Violent, mm-hmm. um, and so I actually very much appreciate the desire to push the ball forward and uh, and well, have see, see, non. The problem. But there was no idea there. The, the social stuff was still used the mechanics of conflict. Yes, but pretended like right. It was something different from what it was. Right, right. right? And it, it was like yeah. two different flavors of the same thing. No, so. totally. And like, and, and it actually feels just like reskinned combat, right? right? Like, it's like okay, I'll like hug them till yeah, they, they convert they or convert, whatever. Yeah. yeah, it's so just like you're, you're lying, basically. Yeah, like, yeah. And so you have a different mechanic. I guess what I'm saying is, I would love to have the social game be a social game but what is that game yeah like right. in Civ like if you're if you're following a diplomatic path like you're playing a different game right you're not building military units you're yeah, not exactly. attacking cities yeah, like yeah, totally. you're you're playing different different right. and, off yeah yeah and in Spy Party like you you know there's two kinds of snipers I mean it's a continuum between them but there's camping snipers mm. which try and watch all the hard tells and it's really hard to time slice with all that stuff going on yeah. and there's behavioralist snipers and behavioralist snipers like look for people acting funny and shoot them yeah. right and so like you know they build up a case of like you know who's acting funny or whatever and like yeah you want like those are real 
decisions the player is making. Whereas here, we just had like meters that filled up. Yeah. And I just think it's, I just, there wasn't, yeah, there just wasn't, I mean, it's Will's fault, right? Like, yeah. there just wasn't a de- design there. Yeah. But. I think another hard part was that when I came on board, um, it seems like, and this seems like a reasonable decision, was that the team was making a concerted effort to hire, like, gamey game designers, right? Yeah, like, like you and Hutch, basically. Yeah, right? yeah, like, yeah. Hey, these guys, these guys make games with rules and right. mechanics and, like, blah, 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 and, like, because this seems to be what we're missing, right? Right. Um, and to me, that's interesting because um, it seems like a good decision, but, like, it, it, it led to a weird, I feel like it led to a weird split. Um, and this right. is this is kind of like what that a lot of I went into that that, that blog post yeah, yeah, where yeah. I was, um, you know, sort of comparing, um, you know, like yeah, the team had super high quality, but you had people that were really looking at the game in very different ways. Yeah, right? like there were some really smart, creative people who who looked at right. the game as this. I mean, incredible to, toy box. Yeah, yeah, right. And like, and that's what like the ten year old responds to right. when they play the game. Yeah, and totally. They like just you know are able to like play with their yep. imagination and like there are room for games like that. Oh, totally. Right. I mean, yeah, and, and I think you're right in the sense that, like, um, it was a too many cooks thing, right? And too many cooks who, like, oh, you make Mexican food, and that person over there is a French chef, and, like, right. it's like... What if you put you together? Yeah, exactly. You're going to have the best, best meal ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, and that's what, that to me, that's what's frustrating is, like, I, you know, you, for personally, because for you... You know, you're disappointed with what happened with Spore, but you can be proud of like your contribution. Right. Whereas I was like trying to fix a problem that, yeah. in retrospect, I don't think necessarily should have even been fixed. Well, there wasn't. I mean, I, or like I was the wrong person to fix it. Like the tools well, I would have used to fix it. Like, yeah, or you needed to be more of a dick or whatever. There's just no way. I mean, you're also your thing was one fifth of a thing. Yeah. So even if you made the best Civ light ever made, it's still not going to save the first three hours of the game. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean. Th- it could have been. It could have been a much more gamey game, mm-hmm. um, but there was. I think there was a lot of people at Maxis who were much more comfortable making a toy like game. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and, yeah, yeah, and that, and you mix and, in the accessibility first thing, and it's like it's got to be a toy like game that doesn't push them too hard and things like that. So yeah, you can see how. I mean, you can see very clearly how the game we got came came to be. Right. Um, it's it's. I would. I just would love to visit the alternate realities where it was a different game and see what happened. Like it. it you know. Like what if they had like. Um. Uh, what if they had just made the creature game, right? Right, and we had just gone whole hog on making the coolest creature level game, and then you released the tribe right. game as so. The, there was one part of the game that worked fully, in my opinion, which is the cell level, right? Everybody says that. I was. I mean, it was just very. I mean, it's yeah. a small. It's it's yeah, yeah yeah. It's sort of a trifle, right? Right. Like, yeah, exactly. It's, it's it's a small thing, so it's yeah. not like a huge thing to hang here. But what it tried to accomplish, it did right fully. Yeah. Really. Yeah, yeah. And like to me, like the creature game. Should have been an extension of that, right? Like that's yeah. how I see the the ideal version of Spore working, right? Um, and that's the one that maybe I could have helped out with, right? right? Because like to me, the Cell game worked as a game, as right. like a gamey game, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And like, um, so it you would have absolutely had to cut everything after Creature, right? And that's it, for for now, for now, sure, yeah, I mean, yeah, Like yeah. you can have the long plan, sure, I mean, sure, sure. If anything, you know, that's what it comes to EA you know, way better. I mean, it's so bizarre because there were executives I, yeah. at EA who told yeah. us like. You guys should chop up this game, right? And like, you know, <laughs> but the, but, yeah, but well, I mean, they were coming at it from a business standpoint, sure, but sure. it actually made sense but from a design you know, standpoint. I mean, it, there's legit, you know, yeah, yeah, totally. They're not just, you know, yeah, it was <laughs> one of those things. Oh yeah, how long were you on it? A uh, year and a half, I think. When I joined, oh, it was only a year and a half. Wow. Yeah, yeah, a year and a half. When I joined, it was supposed to ship like in twelve months. 
Okay. So to me, it was like, this was just a very much like, I'm going to, because I wasn't necessarily looking to join someone else's project like right. after Civ 4. It was like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. Sport seems really interesting. The people on the team are super smart. Right. And to be work with Will Wright, like, yeah, uh, this sounds great. Like, you yeah, know, yeah. I just, you know, I'll come in. Take a little break and do you know, this help thing. Out, just be, be like a contributor. Right. Like on a, on a cool team. Um, and, uh. Yeah, I mean, we should probably tell the anecdote of like how we met. Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> so I had uh, so okay. So it was uh, so. What year would that have been? Two thousand six. Okay. So... No, no, two thousand seven. Two thousand seven. Because we shipped in two thousand eight. Yeah, it was two thousand seven. It was GDC two thousand seven. Okay, um, so I had just given the infamous "we is a piece of shit" rant. Mm-hmm. 